All right, Bizzlecast listeners, welcome to uh, the Bizzlecast official um, Oscars uh, prediction and overview party part one here, of course, with Papa Bizzle. Papa B, say hey to the listeners. Hey out there in the Bizzleverse, great to be with you. So as my dad knows well, and we'll talk about, I threatened to not do a single podcast related to the Oscars this year because I'm so disgusted by the movies. The reality is most of them are decent, um, or at least it's most critics and a lot of people think they're decent. They just haven't connected with me. So dad, I don't want to do a huge overview. I want to get into the movies. Um, yep. We will say ahead of time, um, I've seen like four or five of them. My dad's seen six um, of the nine uh, we're going to try very hard to see the remaining uh, few uh, before the awards, and that's why I'm calling this part one. Um, and then we'll do a part two with the, with the other, um, you know, three or four movies. Uh, but uh, we saw a few of these together, um, right? And you saw a bunch in this past week. I saw, uh, in this, I guess I saw what Hidden Figures and Moonlight uh, fairly recently. Um, so before we dive in. Um, do you agree with me overall that this was a, a lackluster movie year? Um, or is this just like my, from my perspective of movies that I like, these just don't really speak to me because you know me well enough, obviously yeah. to be able to answer that. You know, I think it's, it's the latter probably more so because I, you know, I think that these are, these are all, you know, pretty solid, pretty solid movies. Um, and, uh, the more I, I see of them and I saw three this week, and then three over over the last the uh, the first three over the last couple months. I don't know when we saw Arrival, but that was the first or Hell. Did we see Arrival before Hell or High Water? No, we saw Hell or High Water a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. So we saw that what, maybe early fall. We saw Arrival. No, no, no. Oh. We saw Hell or High Water like in February. Like it was like not long after Deadpool. Oh. That was the beginning oh. of the year. Oh, was that early in the year? Yeah, and then we saw Arrival. Um, yeah, in the fall sometime I think. Yeah. So um, as I and then I've seen four in 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 the last uh, week and a half, mm-hmm. uh, Hidden Figures, Moonlight, Manchester, and La La, mm-hmm. and as I see more of them, I, I just they're 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 really solid. I mean, you know, we'd we would love to have seen Wilder people get acknowledgement. We would love to have seen Deadpool yep. get acknowledgement. Yep. We're we're gonna, uh, we're gonna do a whole snub section. We we probably won't uh, even make it halfway through before that conversation starts because we like to keep yeah. things organic. So I'm not gonna make a set schedule here. Um, so I have a rough idea of kind of the the order of operations here. I'm mostly gonna go in reverse order, somewhat of release, but also of us seeing it. Um, oh. you know, some of the movies like Arrival were being shown at film festivals and select places long before it came out which contributed to its success because the reviews were through the roof um, leading up to its ultimate uh, wide release um, and one topic to add that, that we talked off podcast about but we really should talk about is that one good trend is that wide release and non-wide release is starting to blend a little bit and as Hollywood is making fewer big budget movies and just making them huger it's actually opening up for movies like Arrival, Fences. I think every movie on this list, other than maybe Lion, and maybe even Lion, saw some mainstream uh, theater um, action uh, over the course of the last year. Uh, it would be an interesting top- uh, topic to talk about. Um, but uh, just my final thought before we dive into the movies. And Bizzlecast listeners, we're not going to assume you've seen all of them. So between me and my dad, we'll try and give like a quick summation of, of, of what the movies you know were about, at least thematically, if not you know all p- these plot stuff. I think that would be fair to do. Um, my, my thought is just that 
I think the movies this year that I've seen for the uh, that are nominated are just really overrated. And I understand that a movie like Arrival, which we'll get to, is supposed to be a heady sci-fi movie. I'm not convinced it's a better filmmaking job than Rogue One. I, um, you know, I'm not saying Rogue One should have been nominated. I, I just think I can poke holes in most of these. And uh, it'll be interesting to see, with your help, with a couple I haven't seen that you've seen recently, like La La Land and Manchester, whether we can poke holes in them as well. Um, so uh, any final thoughts or should we dive right in? Let's jump in. All right. So you saw La La Land tonight. I Thoughts? Did. I have not heard this, Bezelcast listeners. I, I, my dad thought he would hate it. I thought he would hate it. I did predict he would make it through the whole thing. You did successfully make it through the whole thing. So this is it. You, you guys are hearing it for the first time along with me. Go ahead, La La Land. So my making through the making it through the whole thing was touch and go. I mean, I I really between the discomfort of the seats in that theater, the length of the movie, and the and the and the content of the movie, it it was tough. Um, to hang in there for all, you know the two hours and ten minutes or whatever ever it is, and the other caveat is people should know that uh, I am I am no lover of uh, of musicals, uh, and there's very few mu- musicals that, that I care to to see and remember and rave about. You could count them on not much more than one hand. So um, you know I go into a musical with with that bias. Another caveat I, I, I want to add, and, it, and it's not trivial, is that I had a big bias against this film uh, as well because of our historical era that we just entered, that uh, the Trumpian era. And uh, I just saw this as n- a nostalgic sort of and narcissistic on Hollywood's part. You know, they love to, to, to celebrate themselves, as we all know, with all their award oh, yeah. shows and, and everything. And th- I thought this is just another way for them to, uh, to, to celebrate themselves because it's so Hollywood. It's so nostalgic for 1940s uh, Hollywood musical. And so I had a, I had a, a significant bias because of, of that as well. Um, hmm. I would really like to be seeing stuff that's that's more important yep. than uh, La La Land. So let me just jump in real quick. Um, and I'll get, if, if you're cool, I'll just give a real quick summation of, of the movie. We can go in more into depth. I will say it was released at, if, for film festivals over the summer, which means they probably made this film in 2015. So, you know, they, they could not have known that it, it would Absolutely. feel even more like escapism than it actually is. For the same Absolutely. reason why Rogue One is way more relevant than they probably thought it would be when they made that movie a year and a half ago. Yes. And it'll be interesting um, in the mainstream with like the next Star Wars movie, now that they are making it or have made it knowing what's going on. And then in the indie land, people that would make movies like Lala... Uh, land whether they will take different tacks with movies or just take different projects because of the situation um, this movie was directed by a fellow named Damien Chazelle um, it stars Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone who are let's be honest two of America's sweethearts yep. um, and they uh, play a musician and aspiring actress uh, respectively who meet and fall in love in Los Angeles obviously it's not very subtle the title referring to both Los Angeles and the idiom for being out of touch with reality while wow, they really had to dig deep for that one um the guy wrote the screenplay as well 2010 couldn't find a studio to finance the production for five years another big surprise there uh, and then they premiered at the venice film festival august 31st and has Wait. been lauded by critics let, let me say a couple more things about the writer director producer um, he is quite young 
He's a 1985 guy. Wait, that's really born in 1985? January 19th, oh, 1985. Okay. Really young. And he's the guy that did Whiplash. Oh, right. Which you also didn't like, I think. Yes, I did not like it. Yeah. That right. was the one that uh, What's-His-Face won for, right? That, um, yes. And, and, and What's-His-Face is, is in this movie as well in, in a rather small part. J.K. Simmons? Yeah, yeah, really? he is. Huh? Yeah, it, it, it's it's you would you would call it a cameo. I mean, huh. it, it, it's basically a, a cameo. Huh? Also, John Legend is in it, which I didn't realize. Yes, and I I don't know if I knew that, but I had forgotten it. And when his face when he showed up on the screen, I like was startled and uh, gave a little bit of a laugh because you know I'm so so fond of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was basically playing kind of himself, kind of. Mm-hmm. He's a uh, uh, an R and well, no, he's a pop star. Uh, he's a rising pop star in 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 this. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, uh, for people, I'm sorry, for people who don't know more about Legend than he's just a good singer, he was uh, he turned down admission to Harvard and Georgetown and studied African American literature at uh, UPenn, which I did not know. Yeah, yeah, smart guy. Uh, he, this is what I'm trying to smart, say. Very smart and guy. And very huge, huge social conscience, and uh, just I, I always found him to be a sweetheart of of a guy. And his his voice is like you know silky smooth, beautiful. Yep. Okay. So as as a transition into the specific reasons you didn't like this, I think it's important to talk about what a musical is in this day and age. There's, yeah, there's, so that- there's, there's there's basically three kinds of musicals, I think. And these three kinds of musicals sum up the only three musicals that I like. I like one from each of these categories, okay? Uh-huh. There's the old school epic Broadway musical, of which Les Mis is the greatest ever and remains the best ever, which is why I love the play. I grew up on the play and really love the movie, as you Bizzlecast listeners know. So yeah. that's one of the only like straight-ahead musicals that I love. Because the music is so brilliant and the drama is so awesome and the historical stuff is just gripping, um, beyond gripping. Okay, so that's category one. Category two is the the meta post-musical, which Hamilton is the best and one of the only, um, which is a self-conscious musical. Um, And in fact, uh, you know, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, who went to my school Wesleyan, um, was inspired by some uh, smaller efforts like Joss Whedon's um, really, really uh, popular and well-regarded um, mini musical uh, Dr. Horrible sing-along bl- uh, blog with uh, Neil Patrick Harris and, and Nathan Fillion, um, and this sort, of, this idea of being able to make a musical that is a musical, but that knows it's a musical and isn't afraid to poke, uh, you know, jokes at itself, um, but while while maintaining the the gravitas of the important parts, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then the third kind of musical is a musical that's just the characters are blatantly self-aware which is the pitch perfect model another uh-huh. movie series that i love which is the characters are 100 percent aware within the story when they're singing and when they're not and that they're singing but n- nevertheless music remains as important to their lives as characters in more traditional musicals where you know it's unclear you know whether they're aware that they are singing or not does, this, does these categories make sense to you dad they do. I'm not sure where to place La La Land, though, exactly. So, well, uh, well, well, let me, so I'll just give you a rundown the, the checklist. Like, were they, was it music throughout would be my first question? And was there any awareness that they were singing or it was like the old school musical style of that's just how we communicate? I was surprised how, how there wasn't music throughout. I thought there'd be many more songs. 
than than there there were. So there, so I, I tried perfect. to do some research on the number of actual songs that uh, that uh, Justin, what's his name, wrote. Um, maybe there were a dozen, maybe fourteen, but it didn't. As you were experiencing the movie, it didn't seem like that, that many. And then there were a handful of of song and dance routines. Interesting. So, Interesting. Wait, yeah. who, who who wrote who wrote the music? The director did? No, no. Justin some somebody. Oh, Justin Hurwitz. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. So they Justin. so they were aware that they were singing. <sighs> nah. So somewhere in the middle. Okay. So it wasn't the yeah. straight up it wasn't the straight up pitch perfect thing where it's like we're going to no. sing, we know we're singing. Okay. No, okay. no. That's interesting. Yeah, no. It was yeah, it was more like a, an old musical where they were not aware that they were singing. Hmm. So there was a lot of there was a lot of dialogue. I didn't I didn't realize that. Ton of dialogue. And okay. it's almost especially when you move into the second half of the movie, I, I felt it was more just like a uh, uh, a relationship drama. Okay, so I'm gonna ask you the easier and shorter question first. Yep. What did you like about this movie? It's it's for me it's it's a complicated movie to, to critique. Um, because of my biases that I've already enumerated on the one hand, and and because it's for me it, it's an un, uneven experience. Um, I was kind of exasperated with it during the first half because it was so um, cotton candyish. I I thought, hmm. uh, but then in the second half there were some very in, interesting dramatic elements to it and some some heavy duty uh, Emma Stone acting in, in it. That girl um, can act, she, no doubt about it. Oh man, she's she's something. I mean, I love her. Yeah, she's so good. And I was distracted too because the way they had her made up and her hair done, she reminded me a lot of my high school girlfriends. So I was very distracted by 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 that. Did um, she have bangs? She 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 didn't have bangs. It was like over one the, eye. Her yeah yes yeah that's more, how she more always like wears that. It. I think that's in a contract with her. Yeah, think, it, it was parted d- down one side of her head, and then you know came down on her forehead. She she has a high forehead. Oh so, yes, yeah, which is one of the things that reminds me of my high school girlfriend. So anyway, um, I was distracted by that, but boy, she had some scenes, and uh, both. I mean, both. I gotta say, she she's a great singer. She had some beautiful acapella stuff and very dramatic, and she's she is special. Yeah, she has a very prominent forehead uh, and these huge eyes. Um, huge eyes, th- thick eye- eyebrows. Yep. Her 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 big overbite. Uh, you know, very kind of distinctive face. Yeah, and as, as we've talked about, Emma Stone's in that category of men and women both really liking her. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was also, you know, a lot like she was in, in Birdman. She was feisty, uh, uh, feisty. That's, that's when she's at her best. I think yep. Emma Stone's one of those actresses that I think can or, or could turn into be a chameleon as she gets older, um, is good enough to do that. But Feisty Emma Stone is such a great, compelling character that you can put in so many situations that yep. it's almost yes. a shame to not you know, have, have her do, do Feisty Emma, Stone's, Emma Stone stuff. 
Well, they took full advantage of that in this film. She's very, very feisty. Well, you know, things are coming full circle because, uh, you know, Jimmy Fallon, uh, who launched Limp Sync Battle, which is now a very highly rated show on, uh, I think, Bravo, uh, and Fallon and Krasinski and a few other people are, are, are producers on it. I've mentioned before during my musicals, uh, the show Lip Sync Battle, but it started as a, as a thing that he would do with guests. And she was one of the first to do it, and she did a, a, a blues traveler song that's almost impossible to sing. And then she did "All I Do Is Win" by DJ Khaled. And uh, as of a couple months ago, that has seventy-four million views on YouTube alone, which is a lot. She actually does. Uh, uh, you'll you'll be surprised here. She actually does one um, not real long lip sync sequence, but long enough she, you know, it was it was terrific it was re- really really good and uh she was lip syncing a song to ryan gosling as he was performing the song with some cheesy rock and roll yeah. uh cover band that he he was he was playing with yeah. so and, it was and great what, uh, and she talked about what she's talking with fallon you know after she wiped the floor with him in the lip sync battle contest uh, that she was actually just sh- act singing at the top of her lungs. She wasn't lip syncing. She was like actually singing mm-hmm. with the music mm-hmm. blasting over her. And so I kind of had a feeling she had a good voice, but to pull off a full musical act, very impressive. Um, Ryan Gosling, uh, you know, I, it, again, just continues to rub me the wrong way. He just seems kind of douchey. Um, I'm sure there is a, a jealous em- <laughs> element that that both celebrity women and women I know are so in love with Ryan Gosling, and maybe that's you know that that's skewing it, uh, 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 skewing my perspective a little bit. I don't hate him; he has been good in a couple movies I've seen, although I haven't seen him in anything for a while. You saw him in a terrible comedy recently. We don't have to talk about that. Uh, what was what was Ryan Gosling like in this movie? So you know, part of it is he 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 plays douchey guys a lot, and he's. He's a, a douchey guy for, or at least partially a douchey guy in in a good part of this this movie as as well. Um, but uh, the chemistry, I mean, she's very comfortable with him, and they had really nice chemistry. And, and of course, th- th- I'm sorry, they of course acted together um, across from each other as lovers or potential lovers in uh, Crazy Stupid Love with Carell oh, okay. and Juliana Margulies and a, a whole host of famous people. So there's a lot of intense acting back and forth between them. They're very, they're very close physically through a lot of this film, and there's a lot of intensity. And um, so she's clearly very comfortable with, with him, and they're, they're very good t- together. And I would say that, you know, he's pretty un- understated in how he, he handles this this role. He does some some nice acting in it as well i mean not as much acting as she does but uh a fair amount and he's you know he's he's understated and i i did read one review by the um as the only review i read by the new york times guy mm-hmm. uh, a.o scott and he yeah. he observed something that i was feeling when i was watching it which is a lot of the acting now you know uh, acting acting not with uh, not with the song singing stuff but the acting acting was very naturalistic which surprised me I didn't expect it to be naturalistic. I thought it'd be kind of stylized, but um, the, the two of them together are, you know, they seem like two, like a real couple, you know, mm-hmm. real, real language, real emotions, real affect. So it was, it was very naturalistic in, oh. in that way. So, oh, so you yeah. didn't hate the movie. I was, I, I was expecting hate, for you to hate it. Okay. I, I didn't hate it. I mean, I was restless the first half mm-hmm. and then I thought it was better the, the second half. And, um, I wanted to see how it resolved. It got increasingly interesting a- as it went along in in the second half. 
um, increasingly less predictable. It was very predictable in the first half and then got increasingly less predictable as it, it went on. And I, I appreciated that hmm. about it. Um, well, so, it, you know, it grossed uh, $94 million domestically so far. It grossed a little less than that, $84 million abroad for a very respectable total for an Oscar nominee of $179 million. Um, not surprisingly, the two biggest abroad releases by far were the UK. Uh, well, the second one's going to be surprising to you, but not to me who tracks such things, which is it made $21 million in South Korea. So it made 21 of its 179 in South Korea. And the reason for that is South Korea has become basically like Hollywood Southeast Asia in, in terms of oh, oh. like their love of film. Uh, in the same way that, you know, India and Nigeria and places like that have become major hubs for film. Now, I don't know if they're making tons, but as like just sort of an overall entertainment center, like video games tend to sell extremely well but compared to the population in South Korea. I don't think people realize how much money South Korea has. It's, they're one of the wealthiest countries on the planet. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, the Avengers movies can make 50, 60, 70, 80 million dollars. But for, oh but for La La Land to make that money there, I, I really can't explain. Um, mm. I, I'd have to research, you know, why this particular movie that's not even like a mainstream Hollywood uh, or, or traditional, I should say, mainstream Hollywood box office film. Um, so uh, l- l- let me ask you this question then. Why do you think this is doing pretty well uh, domestically, but why do you think it would appeal overseas as well so much? It's because it's like a 50-50 split right now, which is unusual for a movie like this. You know, I would have thought that it would uh, do well in, in India because of the whole, whole Bollywood thing. I mean, that, you know, that that's what they do so much over there. I they, thought that maybe they – Yeah, I mean, um, American studios have not figured out uh, oh. India. As of yet, in terms of movie distribution. It's like that no matter what what movie it is. The other thing I thought that you might have mentioned France, because there's one of the sub-themes here. There's a real homage to jazz here. Um, And uh, uh, Gosling's character is a... um, is a uh, traditionalist jazz guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And his dream is to open a traditional jazz club and try to preserve the art um, in this country, which is, you know, it's so jazz's uh, position in this country. So, so kind of tenuous. Um, hmm. And uh, so I thought maybe that the French might, might really relate to this film because of, of that. Of course, and, the French tend to think everything we produce is not culture. Um, so there's always right, that. that. Yeah, there's always that, right? Um, so we need to keep moving because we've got a mm-hmm. bunch of other movies. Now, we're not, we don't need to talk equally long about all six movies, you know. Um, but uh, I will say to wrap this up uh, that I'm impressed that you didn't hate it. Um, yep. I'm wondering if, if, you might, if you liked it more or less based on your feeling going into it. I know it's hard to self-diagnose. Uh, oh, no. I, that, that's, that's easy for me to answer. I mean, I really thought... Uh, you know, like I, I wrote you, I didn't know what the, the, the over-under was that I was going to make it through it, but I really didn't think I, – I really thought I was going to walk out on it. I, I didn't think I could endure two hours and ten minutes of it mm-hmm. So, um, because I, I thought it was going to be so cotton candy that I couldn't bear it. And um, Plus, I, I don't, no one has ever said that the music is remarkable, and, and the fact it's not remarkable. The music is not remarkable. 
Right. Like like A.O. Scott said in his his review, you're not going to remember the music after you leave this movie. Well, what what you're going to what you're going to remember is what you what you saw. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so uh, I you know I definitely liked it more than you know kind of significantly more than I thought I I would I would like it. Hmm. I endured the first half, and I thought the second half was really engaging. Well, we we will move on. Um, I will okay. say just a quick glance here that that France does actually give pretty good totals for the the big movie. I mean, all the the top five movies this year, oh. last year, oh. which are all oh. Disney movies. Um, you know, you had you had uh, Jungle Book, Utopia, Finding Dory, Rogue One, and Captain America. All Disney movies, all made in the twenties, thirties, forties, millions. Um, for those movies, and then you get to uh, you know. You get to uh, you. Uh, I'm sorry. You get to South Korea for Rogue One, and the movie made like seven million dollars. How did that possibly happen? Jeez. How Jeez. did that happen? You know what I mean. Um, so there's some distribution stuff, which maybe we'll talk about um, going forward. But this was not one I was looking forward to. It didn't take you know much convincing for me t- uh, to not see this. Maybe I'll catch it going forward. If I like the male lead a, lo- a little bit more or a lot more, I'd be tempted just to see two great actors because I do love Emma Stone. Yeah, she. I mean, she's really worth. I mean, in hindsight, she's worth worth the price of admission. Yeah. She she really is, yeah. and she is that. Um, well, you said you found it distracting, but uh, you know, I, I, for me, I can I can watch her without constantly falling in love the way like young Scarlett Johansson or something like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, um, but uh, just really quickly I, I, about South Korea, and then we'll move on because this is fascinating. So Captain America made sixty two million, but all those other Disney movies didn't make very much. And hmm. so there has to be a reason they must love musicals. There, ha- there has oh. to be there has to be a reason for this. So we'll have to do a South Korea podcast at some point. I do have a friend, a hilarious South Korean friend from uh, Wesleyan, who's usually in South Korea, Sunho. Um, uh, so maybe we'll get huh. him on the Bizzlecast sometime. Oh, that, in, in his that'd be yeah, that'd be very cool. He's he you know his English is 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 good but hilarious, and he he knows that it is. And he plays on it. He's a very 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 funny guy. Um, so shout out Sun Hell if you're listening to this. Um, so let's move on. So we spent a lot on uh, uh, on La La Land, which is important because it won all the Golden Globes yeah. it was nominated for. It's yep. probably going to win some Oscars. It could win Best Picture. Now, Dad, remember what I said at the beginning of this? Uh, it were, when they made this movie, they had no idea what the political situation would be? Yeah. When the people voted on these movies, they knew exactly what the political situation would be. So to me, that would be that would be the tragedy and the travesty is if it yeah. wins post Trump, and not that it was being released in post Trump, but that it wins post Trump. Uh, but you know, we've seen this before with the artist and, and other self congratulatory Hollywood efforts. That's right. That's um, right. And so, as a way of letting you choose and making this somewhat organic. Of the other movies you've seen, were there other ones that you would consider not similar in terms of tone or genre, but in terms of being kind of uh, masturbatory a little bit uh, from a Hollywood uh, filmmaking perspective? No. Okay. So, no. Um, you, so why don't we jump to uh, Manchester by the Sea? Okay. Um, and uh, rather than me do, do you feel like you can just give like a two or three sentence summation of of the movie and and lead that into your your talk about it? Because we haven't talked about yeah. this at all. Yeah. I'm glad we saved this for the podcast. Go ahead. Yeah. So, um, uh, spoiler, a uh, b- big spoiler. Uh, the uh, 
as I said to some people after I saw this, I'm not sure this is a a story that need to be, needed to be told mm. um, because it revolves around a very extreme circumstance in that the uh, protagonist, um, uh, Casey, Casey Affleck's character, mm-hmm. Lee Chandler, mm-hmm. was the cause of his three children's death. Hmm. On purpose? No, 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 no. Okay. It was it, it was an accident. He was uh, he had a big oh, big, yes. this big drunken yeah. cocaine party, and they, yeah. he left left the house for forty minutes, and yeah. and a log rolled off of the fire, and the the house burned down. This is this is this is what I accuse the CW shows of having this problem of what I call yes. self self inflicted, uh, yes. you know, guilt trips, endless yes. a, 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 unending guilt trips. Yes. So. Um, you know, that's the, the flaw in this story is that it's such an extreme premise. All right. So do, does, is it a story that has to be told? I would have walked well, out after 10 minutes, Dad, honestly, just based on what you I, just said. I, I don't know. But the fact is the writer, who was also the director, really knew what he was doing because the psychology of the whole thing is really spot on. Um, and he does a great job with the, the, the character development. Um, so it's all about how Casey copes and mostly doesn't cope with the profound guilt that he feels over um, what his behavior caused. Mm. So he's a profoundly uh, depressed guy whose wife leaves Michelle Williams, who's terrific, mm-hmm. although her role isn't much bigger than a cameo. I don't know why she got nominated really in some ways for uh, best supporting because it's a pretty small role, but she's darn good. I mean, she is really good. Oh, yeah. um, and But she's not on the screen that, that much. Hmm. So the, the marriage breaks up. He, he moves from... Um, uh, I don't know where they, they, they were living. I don't, it was somewhere in the North Shore of Boston or up in in uh, in in New Hampshire but um so he moves back to Boston becomes a janitor and just grinds it out and then something happens to to pull him back to uh the scene scene of the crime his brother his brother dies the, uh, the town so. is Manchester by the sea hence the name yeah but i'm not sure that's where his his home was. That's where his Quincy. brother's home. Quincy. Um, Quincy, Quincy was where he was being a, a janitor oh, okay. in, in, in Boston. It says his hometown is Manchester by the sea, but I can't, yeah. Anyways, oh, it's, it's, all, right. it's all Massachusetts. Yeah. So um, he's drawn back, I guess, to the scene, scene of the same town where the house burned down. And uh, um, then he has to cope with, with a bunch of things related to his brother's uh, sudden demise from a mm-hmm. from a, a heart a heart defect. So there's some interesting and things about this movie. Um, originally, Matt Damon uh, was going to direct and or star in it. There was this, there was a scenario whereby he was going to direct himself as a star in this. Mm-hmm. Um, he later teamed up with Kenneth uh, Lonergan, who was ultimately the director, and they worked together on a 2011 movie called Margaret. And at that point, Matt Damon was still going to star in it. Apparently, John Krasinski, with Damon, I guess their buddies, had brought the idea to Lonergan. And Krasinski was also maybe going to play the part. They're, they're, they're very close because their wives are close. Mm-hmm. Oh, who's Matt Damon's wife? 
Uh, I don't think she's an actress, but oh, uh, oh, I'm sorry. You're saying Damon and and uh, Lonergan. Krasi- oh, no, I'm saying D- D- Damon and Krasinski are close because Emily Blunt's friends with Mrs. Damon. Okay, I didn't know that. Yes, cool. Um, that's why I asked you if she was an actress because Emily Blunt's obviously an actress. Right. Right, uh, right. But, okay, so let me ask you some tough questions about this movie. Yes. Would Casey Affleck have been cast if John Krasinski? Let me put it this way. Did Casey Affleck do a definitively better job than Krasinski or Damon could have or would have done in your assessment? Well, Krasinski, I don't believe, as much as I, I like him, he's a very appealing guy. He doesn't have the acting chops to, to, to do this role. This is a really demanding role. Really, really demanding role. And um, I, I suppose that, you know, you, you feel that Damon can do anything, so... No, I don't necessarily think he could have pulled off this role. If Casey ultimately succeeded, but I do think that Casey being a very tormented person himself, it's yeah. possible that the torment, they were just adding torment to torment. Whereas Krasinski, while maybe dramatically wouldn't have had the chops at every moment, the little bit of self-deprecating humor that's always in a Krasinski portrayal, um, maybe could have brought the movie up and not been so, so bleak, you know, well, go ahead. It, it has to be bleak. Yeah. Um, because that's how Lonergan wrote wrote the character. Uh, that he just, as, as as he says in a very poignant moment towards the end of of the film to his a nephew, that is the the, uh, the 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 son of 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 Casey Affleck's character, the son of the brother of Casey Affleck's character. Mm-hmm. Um, so his dad had died, and and Casey is in the will. Unknown to him that he's supposed to, he's supposed to be the guardian of of his nephew, and that and he just struggles with it and struggles with it and struggles with it. And the end, he says to his nephew, in a very understated way, "I just can't beat it." Mm-hmm. Um, now, I- interestingly, you know, I was prepared to have to take medication after this movie because of what <laughs> you know. Well, maybe if he had uh, just taken medication, and then he would have been, been, <laughs> perhaps had to go through this unnecessary was, journey. But he was this kind of uh, you know Irish Catholic uh, young man that would ne- you know would never you know would never go to therapy or take meds. He just wants to to drink it into oblivion. He was even using cocaine. A lot of self destructive stuff. Um, that he he would do along the way. Um, I'm just saying that there's, this seems semi uh, autobiographical or biographical of Casey Affleck's real life, which is a disaster, as far as I could tell. Is that um, right? Yes, it's, it's that it's that bad. Yes, I mean during his uh, his Golden Globes uh, speech, in which he looked incredibly disheveled and miserable, he talked yeah. about all the lies that have been told about him in Hollywood and, and thanking his kids because of I suppose his horrible ex wife or whatever uh, that he was referring to. Like he had to bring that into bring that to the state. I've read that he's uh, he might be a little bit of a wife beater. I'm just saying uh, he's uh, you know uh, I, there's more. Let's so, put this: there's more evidence for him having domestic troubles than than Brad Pitt. I think. So, so the point that I, I was moving toward when I said I didn't have to take meds is because even though you know, he couldn't beat it, and he, he, he couldn't beat it, but the very end of, of the film, and at, at points you thought he, he, he was, he was going to kill himself, but at the very end of the film, he's sitting on the fishing boat that was his brother's and now is going to be his, his nephew once his nephew becomes uh, of majority. Mm-hmm. They're sitting on the, uh, on the fishing boat – 
fishing, which is where the where the movie started before all all the tragedies happened. And and Casey was the nephew's um, uh, funny, playful, outrageous uncle. So, you know, it 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 was a fairly you know happyish ending, which surprised me. Um, it, it did help take a little bit of, of the so, edge okay. off, but he, yeah. So this brings up the issue that I keep trying to bring up with you and I never really express it great, which is, I'm not sure we should be voting for all, always the highest level, level of difficulty performance, or we should redefine what that means. I mean, is, should the best movie always be, you know, the darkest, you know, like you either have to be singing or you have to be yeah. dark and brooding. I mean, I'll look at all these nominations. They're all dark and brooding characters. It's like this every year. And I think that's why um, you know, movies like The Artist and La La Land get love occasionally is Hollywood trying to do some course correction on all, all the all the darkness and somehow you need to be dark to be great. Well, except mostly that's art, whether it's film or or, or novels. I mean, you know, d- dark is w- where the action is. Yeah, but even like a Picasso, you know, there's always some beauty. Not always. There's usually some some actual beauty. Th- there going was on. plenty of, of beauty in, in this. Okay. I, I, uh, first of all, I mean, lead? they did a postcard for for New England. It was just, it oh, was, that was gorgeous. My, that was my other question: Is would Casey Affleck have been the front of the list if he didn't have a, a native Massachusetts accent? He um. He wasn't sporting a real heavy Boston accent. Uh, it was more subtle than we're used to from those, you know, the, the, all those Boston movies that we see, uh, Departed, etc., um, The Fighter. Uh, so he wasn't really sporting a, a heavy-duty uh, Boston accent, but it was gorgeous. It was visually gorgeous. I just, um, I just think you, a movie should be punished for. F- false uh, premises or faulty premises like like go ahead and nominate casey affleck but based on your first couple sentences about this movie i would have immediately as a voter eliminated it because that's sloppy writing and from my perspective and maybe it's just because i'm trying to get into tv shows and this is a constant problem on television yeah about these forced moral quandaries that both the premises and the conclusions are heavily flawed yeah and so then it just becomes a character study with casey affleck so that's great, but you know, do yes. they do they nominate the movie as a movie because he directed and wrote it? And so, I mean, you know, the politics behind this is continues to make me more and more cynical about the whole thing. Uh, by the way, uh, Kenneth Lonergan went to Wesleyan. <laughs> Did he really? Yeah. Oh my goodness! Wow. Yeah, he uh, wow. he he trained as a playwright and director, and then went to yeah. the NYU playwriting uh, program. Well, you, you know what? That that's interesting that you say he's he's a playwright because you know this 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 script has the chops of of of, of a play. It's very emotionally intense, and um, I, you could even see it mm-hmm. on uh, on the stage. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I, I was really impressed with the writing job that he did and how he got inside Casey's character's head, uh, his his ex wife's head, yep. uh, the so some of the teenagers in 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 the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it, it was a really excellent film, really excellent yeah. film. I guess I, I just and, would, oh, no, sorry, go ahead. And as as it's marinated over the last few few days, it, it just feels better and better to, to me. The movie. 
That's fine. You know, I, I wish I didn't know. I, didn't, I mean, him and Joaquin Phoenix are buddies. That should tell you everything you need to know. <laughs> um, and, and actually, you know, the reason I, I heap praise on Joaquin Phoenix for the movie Her yeah. is because he always feels like a creep on screen. He seems like definitely a weirdo creep off screen. And he toes the line in that role in her of being a creep in that role. But because of well, the writing... To- yeah. I'm sorry. No, because of the writing and direction of Spike Jones and the subtle nuanced performance that Joaquin Phoenix does, I- I'm still able to get in with that character and not be creeped out by him, even though, for the most part, Joaquin Phoenix rubs me the wrong way. Uh, and now, you know, knowing some more about Casey Affleck, um, I try not to bring these things in, you know, but uh, it, it's hard not to, specifically when they're playing, you know, alcoholics and, and, you know, depressed people and you know they've had depression in real life. It's hard. It's like, it's like, try, it's like watching The Dark Knight is brutal because you're watching Heath Ledger's brilliant performance as the Joker, you know, probably the greatest uh, villain performance ever on screen. But yeah, the whole time yeah, yeah. you're thinking about his, his depression and, and his suicide. Yeah, well, I'm I'm definitely uh, schizophrenic on this theme, but you know, so sh- should Pete Rose be in the Hall of Fame or, or or not? Well, I don't know if he should be in the Hall of Fame, but I don't think he should be morally castigated for for uh, gambling illegally. For me, is way lower on the list than you know being an alcoholic and, and treating your family t- terribly or something like that. Yeah, so you know, P- Picasso was a, uh, a a dreadful misogynist. I mean, awful. Yep. Uh, well, he was Frank, he, he was Spanish after all. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Frank Sinatra was a mobster. Yep. You know, it's and so uh, I suppose for me, depending on who the person is, almost uh, sometimes I'll get caught up in their personal life. Yeah. And so, and sometimes I won't. Oh Peace. no, I think uh, yeah, I'm, I'm spinning this the wrong way. I'm not saying I I, I can't w- watch it. Um, and and not like it because I don't like them. I'm just talking about when the role matches the person too closely. I you know, see. like you always point to me liking Damon because of talented Mr. Ripley, which is which is true. But I love mm. about it is you can tell he's not that guy even while he's convincing you that he is during the movie. Yes. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's what I love about Damon. I was going to say about Damon, I'm not sure he could handle this role based on the previews I've seen and, and clips and hearing people talk about it. My thing with Damon is he has to be one of two extremes. He has to be super zen, like in Born uh, to the Marsh- mm. in the Martian to a certain degree. Yes. I mean, even his bad guy character and the departed is pretty you know uh, emotionless um that's part of his character or he has to be really flamboyant you know and like just go go all in these like yeah. subtle bro- brooding roles are for the affleck brothers i mean those are those are tailor-made for brothers affleck yeah 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 the, this sort of existential angst i'm not sure that it, that would be in in damon's wheelhouse but i gotta tell you, you know casey owned this role he was spectacular in it he's gonna win uh if if he wins it, he he should win it. Yeah. Maybe others should win it, but as well. But he was oh, fabulous. That, and and by yeah. the way, he, he did it in a, in an I believe in an understated way. Okay, so we're gonna introduce since we're, we're gonna have trouble staying under time just talking about the movies. Yeah, and the, yeah we are. So, so let's so let's. But but I think the way we we do this is we start talking about the thematic things as we're going. Uh-huh. So like when we go through a movie. You say, you know, A, should it win for any of the categories? And B, will it? Um, and obviously, we've both seen it. We can both make those predictions. For the first two, I haven't seen. So let's jump back to really quick to La La Land. I know you're going to say it, does, it shouldn't win. But among, yes. among best picture, uh, best actor, best actress, and best director, is it going to win any or all of those four awards? 
Well, I, I I can't I don't trust Hollywood any further than I can any further than I can throw them. So, um, <laughs> neither does thing, Trump. So you're in good company. <laughs> right. Exactly. So this thing so pulls at, at their narcissism and their their nostalgia thing that I'm not going to be surprised. You know, it's, it's got 14 nominations. Yeah. And by the um, way, wait, I just got to clarify, Dad. Bizzlecast listeners out there, you probably know this. I love great Hollywood movies. When we talk about Hollywood, when we talk about Golden Globes and Oscars, we're talking about the you know ninety percent of Oscars voters who are over the age of fifty and mostly white and mostly men, right? Dad? That's right. Yeah, that's right. We love the talent, right? We're always praising yeah. these great actors and directors right. and writers. That's we right. love the talent, you know. I mean, you know, we love Emma Stone regardless of what we think about that. You know, we love uh, some of the work Casey Affleck's done regardless of what's happened off screen or, or not. I mean. I just want to make that clear. So given who the voters are, yes. La, La La Land could win a, a, any of the 14 or all of the 14 or, you know, maybe it gets eight, seven, eight, six, nine. Who knows? But I, I, got, it, I got your prediction right here. I got your prediction right here. Yeah. You ready for this? Yeah. Manchester by the Sea is going to, be, is going to win picture, director, and actor, but Emma Stone is going to win best actress because look at who Emma Stone is up against. Yeah, Isabel Huppert in L, who no one's yeah. heard of, and people think is not even that good to begin with. Ruth Nega, who's only recently becoming a star, who's best known for being on Agents of Shield and in Warcraft, in a movie right. loving that nobody's seen. Natalie Portman in the dreadful Jackie that me and my dad walked out on that we won't even talk about, and Meryl Streep in Florence Foster Jenkins. So the only real competition to Emma Stone is Meryl Streep, who's always yes. who's always a threat. But I think. Yeah. You know, I, I think I, I think yeah. I think that Emma Stone gets it because she she's a triple threat in this movie. Yep. She acts, she sings, she dances, yep. and that's what they you know that's the nostalgia narcissism thing. That's that's what they're gonna love about her performance yeah. is that uh, um, it's it, she she does it all. Yep. Did she win for um? God, did she win Bird, for the help? Birdman. Birdman? Uh, let's see. She won a Golden Globe Oscar nomination. Um, God, I should know this. There, there's there's a whole separate page for Emma Stone awards and nominations. Hmm. Um, so she has won 32 total awards. She won. Um, she was nominated for Birdman, and that's it. Oh, I thought she was nominated for uh, what? I thought she was nominated for The Help. I guess The Help was, was just nominated. Well, yeah, she was in the. I don't even remember she was in the help. Yeah. She won some ensemble awards for the help. But anyways, point being, she's been nominated. This is it for her. Yes. And just just to, to complete the circle, I love Emma Stone for the same reason I love Anna Kendrick, which is that they're adorable. They're the same person on screen and off screen. They're super feisty and they're mm-hmm. triple threats. And so they're, mm-hmm. you know, and so they're always going to be able to pull tricks out of their back. And they're both naturally hilarious, which for young women on screen, they don't always get the chance to be. That's right. So, um, okay, well, I made my prediction already with those two movies that they're going to win all the awards. Do you agree with my, uh, my, my notion that Manchester could win two or three of the biggies? It definitely could. It definitely could win two or three of the biggies. It depends how the, uh, how, uh, the race card play, plays out here. Sure. Uh, if, there, if anybody's going to be overcompensating for the, uh, the white onslaught from last year, uh, because there's, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on um, in Hidden Figures and Moon in Moonlight with uh, with black black actors and stuff. So, mm-hmm. I think uh, I think the one out 
uh, for the director award is that La La Land and Manchester were both written by the directors. So sometimes they'll give them the the writing award and not the directing award or vice versa. Oh, right. Um, I would be surprised if screenplay and director wasn't split between those two guys. Um, And if Moonlight wins best uh, director specifically... I'll have a major issue with that. I'm sure I'll get. I'll, I'll be hearing from the audience about this one. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll, maybe we'll get to Moonlight next. I, yes. I, I would certainly not mind if it won Best Picture for political reasons, but director, I, I just can't agree with. Um, so, so, so Manchester is beautifully written. It's beautifully directed. It's beautifully acted. I mean, it's really a great movie. And interestingly, uh, you know, other than Ryan Glossing and La La Land, the, we haven't seen the other best actors. We haven't seen Andrew Garfield and Hacksaw Ridge, though we might. We haven't seen Vigo right. and Captain Fantastic, which seems unlikely. Right. And we haven't seen right. Denzel and Fences, which I think which there's a good will. chance we will. Yep. Yeah, we'll see that. Yeah, so we'll see those two. So, you know, I, I, man, I would love De- for Denzel to win a legit best actor award for, for a drama. Um, oh. And I'm excited to see, for seeing that performance. Uh, and uh, I guess as as a way of transitioning, um, well, so the next three movies to talk about would be Hell or High Water, Hidden Figures, and Arrival, um, as well as Moonlight. We've seen um, all of those. I think we saw all of them together, but Hidden Figures. I saw Hidden Figures with Mom. Yes, cr- yes. And then right. uh, you went shortly thereafter, and we both loved it. Um, yeah. I think we can run through a couple of these quickly. So Hidden Figures. I think we. Yeah. I think we. I think we run run through Moonlight particularly quickly. I well, mean, I, I feel- well, well, let's hold off Moonlight just for one sec. Just for okay. one sec, um, because I want to give props to two movies that I loved that I don't think are going to win any awards, and that's Hidden Figures and Hell or High Water. I yep. just think Hell or High Water came out too early in the year, um, and there's too much other competition. And, you know, I, I mean, the fact that Jeff Bridges, let's put it this way, the fact that Jeff Bridges got nominated for Best Supporting Actor um, for Hell or High Water, and he was great, but not Ben Foster, who was like transcendent great. And the yep. fact who that, that Mahershala Ali was nominated for the, being in Moonlight literally for five minutes at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> right. And the main right. thing that took me out of the movie was the boyhood-esque time jumps where we immediately lost the, the, the coolest part of that movie was the relationship in the beginning. I thought that was a Correct. huge, 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 huge mistake. Correct. Now, it is based on a book, and that's how they wanted to do it, so that's fine. So we'll get back to that. I, I did love Hell or High Water. Um, I mean, if you put my feet to the fire, having seen only f- like five of these movies, I would pick Hell or High Water. That's my favorite, <laughs> and I think the best of these movies. Hidden Figures is one of the greatest, uh, you know, historical everyone in the family must see movies. I mean, up there with you know, uh, movies like Apollo thirteen. But you add the race and gender aspect to it, and it's it's really way That's more right. powerful than those those kinds of movies or That's right. these biopics of presidents. Um, or uh, you know, I mean, it's interesting to think whether as a PG movie, uh, Hidden Figures is is a lot um, more. Um, effective at conveying certain ideas about racism than a very very serious movie like um the one about uh lbj and martin luther king which i'm um, selma selma you know selma had so many problems yeah you know and so it immediately alienated a bunch of people (laughs) you know whether hidden figures which all of you all should see out there uh i definitely think um uh, taraji hansen um who i've seen in some stuff and i know is amazing in, in in uh 
uh, Empire, which is a show I, I don't watch and wouldn't normally be into, but I hear she's spectacular and it really, really stole that movie with, uh, you know, Octavia Spencer taking, you know, kind of a, a best supporting actress role, which I wasn't ex- expecting. And indeed, Octavia Spencer is nominated and I would be thrilled. Um, and actually, best supporting actress is sometimes the movie dad historically where they, they award the movie that's not awarded. Like when, uh, Rachel Weiss oh. won for The Constant Gardener. The Constant Gardener was right. up for a ton of awards. Uh, you know, looking back on that year, I would argue that was the best movie of 2006 or whatever that was. Right. Um, I mean, that's one of the best movies ever, in my opinion. And Ray Fiennes robbed for not winning for that yes. movie. But they yes. gave it to Rachel Weiss, who was very, 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 very deserving. And so I could see Octavia Spencer um, taking down Naomi Harris uh, in Moonlight, Nicole Kidman, Lion, Michelle Williams, Manchester by the Sea. I guess Viola Davis might win for Fences just because it's not clear why she's the best supporting actress and not the best actress. So so they might give it to Viola Davis and she indeed won the Golden Globe. So I just want to give a shout out to Hella High Water and Hidden Figures. Uh, Any any quick thoughts about those two movies and and we'll move to the last couple few? Well, I mean, Heller High. Um, I mean, I'm sorry. Hidden Figures, you know, for me is this year's spotlight. I think it's it's socially, historically, really important. And so I'll just echo what you said. Everybody should see see this movie. It's a it's a tremendously powerful piece of of history that they did a fabulous job with bringing to life. Um, I love Kevin Costner. I'm, I'm not a you know. A fan, one way or the other, Costner's, but oh, I thought he did fabulous a great, in this, amazing. Did, did a great, great job in, in in this this role as as the NASA guy, and um, the three black women were were terrific together. It was just, it was, uh, it was a, it was an inspiring uh, story to 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 witness, and then you know the reminders of how racist this country still was in in, in the '60s is is shocking, but. There, there you have it. And they did a great job at handling it. You know, they didn't rub your face in it. It was just matter of fact. And um, as you as you said, your your audience was gasping and whatever oh, when yeah. they were reminded of the signs and whatever. So yeah, I mean, I saw it, you know in the suburbs with a very a very white audience, but a lot of families and everyone from kids to parent to their parents. We're, we're gasping at racist stuff that we know happened and we learn about it in school, but when you see it actually happen on uh, on the screen, and and what the movie uh, to finish that thought, when you see it, it it's, it's particularly horrifying, it, it, especially in a PG context. Um, right. Just when you're starting to feel good, it'll be something terrible. It, this was a great way of communicating it, uh, and what the movie did so brilliantly and. Uh, just as a quick aside, I appreciate your comparison to Spotlight. I understand what you're saying. The, the the difference, the reason this movie is more important than Spotlight is because Spotlight was about the investigation, which is really, really, really interesting. But we mostly just heard descriptions of things that were happening that we already knew happened. This we yep. saw the racism in motion, right? Yep. We, we, yep. And I, I'm not, I think Spotlight made the right choice. I'm glad we didn't see scenes of pedophilia for a million different reasons. It didn't need it. It would have been ter- horrifying. Yep. You know, that was exactly the story they should have told. But in this, yep. you know, in, in, in Hidden Figures, you're, you're seeing racism. And, and then eventually, you know, from Kevin Costner and a couple of the other uh, figures, you know, uh, winding back um, racism or winding down racism, I should say, in action. You know, you're seeing mm-hmm. it happen on the screen. And that was a really uh, kind of transcendent movie experience that I wasn't expecting to be. 
be such a transcendent movie experience. And you know, and, and and God damn it, if uh, if Hidden Figures is you know going to make like two hundred million dollars in the box office, mostly domestically, which is awesome. People are seeing this with their kids. Uh, Hell or High Water is normally a movie that I, it could I could it's like a fifty fifty movie for me. I, I don't know why this one connected because some of the sparse. Uh, Western, modern Westerns, like stuff the Coen brothers do, uh, it doesn't always connect with me like i don't i'm not so in love with no country for old men even though it won a bazillion awards like i try and rewatch that movie and i can barely get through mm-hmm. like 20 minutes i'm just so bored hell, hell or high water was slow for most of it but there i it was meditative and paced beautifully for me in a way that some of these other movies like moonlight which everyone else rave about and i can see on the page what there is to rave about i just didn't connect to the pacing at all of moonlight whereas hell or high water pacing was was spot on for me right i I loved hell or high water i I mean what a great story what a great ride uh ben foster was a, a revelation yeah um Chris Pine did a great, great job uh, in a in a, in a demanding role, and he really showed you know the chops that that he had, and yep. and it's always fun seeing Jeff Bridges oh do my some God. Quir- quirky you know quirky Western guy, super dude stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was fabulous movie, absolutely just fabulous. I, I mean Ben Ben Foster and Ryan Reynolds are are the two biggest snubs. Uh, uh, of, of this year yes. as far as I can tell. And this might be a good transition and then we can talk a- briefly about Moonlight and end on Arrival uh, which is good. I wanted to end on Arrival so that worked out well. Um, w- which is, you know, I- I'm sure Ryan Gosling is, is a better actor uh, than Ryan Reynolds. Uh, he's certainly been in more like acclaimed serious films. Like Reynolds has been in a number of like big time acclaimed films. I'm sorry, uh, Ryan Gosling. Uh-huh. And they both kind of seem like douchebags on the screen, but you get a feeling like they're probably not douchebags off the screen. Mm-hmm. And then for Ryan Reynolds to play Deadpool, which is the ultimate s- satire of douchebag actors. I mean, that's what the that's what the whole fourth wall thing in Deadpool is all about, you know? Right. It's not just right. a comic book movie. It's talking about all douchebags, but especially douchebag actors who have like a messiah complex and think, you know, the, the world begins and ends with them. Mm-hmm. And that they're whiny little bitches, but that he made it into a hilarity in Deadpool, and how the yes, writing—I mean, Dad, forget about Best Picture director. The fact that the writing for that movie didn't get nominated—I just cannot possibly comprehend that. That yeah. between Ryan Reynolds, the film, the direction, and the writing, you, you can't. I mean, I, I, I would borderline have Marina Baccarin nominated for that if she had a little bit of a bigger role in that film. I mean, you mm-hmm. never see women in those kind of broad comedies do and say the stuff that she did so convincingly. Well, you know, we talk all the time about how terribly difficult it is to write a comedy that soars. I mean, it's really difficult to, to do that. And they, they just did a great – it's hysterical. Um, it, it's R-rated hysterical. And yeah, you feel like they deserve credit for having uh, having nailed it because of how because of the degree of difficulty on 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 the comedy uh, on the comedy scale. Yeah, so. yeah. I, I I don't know how they couldn't find one out of eight or nine or ten spots best. Per- I mean, they I think they can go up to ten. They have nine, so that means they snubbed it even worse because they had an extra spot. <laughs> right. You know, and it's 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 hard to believe. Hunt for the Wilder People easily my favorite movie of the year you guys know i love that film i've seen it at least twice at this point maybe three times 
I don't know if there were 10 last year, but uh, Mad Max was in the list. So if yep. you can put freaking Mad Max on the list, you can't put w- Wilderbeast or, or Deadpool on, this on is the what list I'm, this, this year? This is what I'm saying about the darkness. You know, it's like the only way to get like a comic booky type movie up there is to make it super Game of Thrones, super dark, super arse, you know, kind of, you know, mm-hmm. where they, they can convince themselves that Mad Max was an art film. Oh, that's what happened. That's what happened. Real film people talk themselves across the board, just like with Game of Thrones. I mean, th- and this is where the group thing comes in. This is exactly where the group thing comes in, you know, because most people, if they're uninfluenced by society and people around them, friends, media, politicians, etc., probably are, are uncertain about most issues. But pe- especially as people get older, they find they can't live their lives without having opinions on everything. Mm-hmm. So like when I crush Game of Thrones over and over again on the Bizzlecast. And by the way, Bizzlecast members, the more you keep crushing me about crushing Game of Thrones, the more I'm going to keep crushing it. I mean, I'm specifically going after a show that I think is overrated to a historical, you know, (laughs) geological time type uh, level because of groupthink. Because when a lot of smart people all convince themselves that something's good, suddenly it's good. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just the Trump voters. It's, you know... Of people that we know that convince themselves that Bernie Sanders was the next Messiah, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. this yep. is the same people, you know, who now it's so easy to bash on Trump. Sorry, guys, you spend a year, you know, propping up a guy that wasn't nearly as cool or, or smart or good as you thought he was and, uh, you know, took a lot of shots at Hillary Clinton. That ultimately helped take her down. So, um, it, you know, pe- pe- people don't like that uncertainty. And so people talk themselves into stuff. And I think that's what happened with Mad Max. Um, and that's why I thought, actually, that's what would happen with Deadpool. I mean, Deadpool seemed like the if you were ever going to nominate a comic book movie of any sort, it seemed like Deadpool would be the one. Okay, so I guess that's all you have to say on that. Um, yep. So we've got two left. I want to end on Arrival for a lot of reasons. Um, probably because it's, it's the movie that even my close friends can't believe I don't love because it, it seems like such a cerebral, in some ways is a cerebral, uh, well-executed sci-fi uh, property, uh, which is normally right in my wheelhouse, to say the least. We have to mention Moonlight, which I just had a feeling I wasn't going to like. And you know that, that I love movies about, by, and starring black people. And TV shows, Mm -hmm. and I Mm -hmm. am constantly lamenting. I mean, (laughs) other than loving Chris Evans, has there been any more constant theme over two years of Bizzlecast other than lamenting good black roles for great black actors and great black movies? Right. I'm always talking about this. You know, I did an entire podcast about it. I would do multiple ones. I think it's going to happen again. I hope with Gabriel as we revisit a year later and see if there's yep. any progress made. Because yes, yep. we have Ruth Nega. You know, yes, we have the Moonlight uh, folks. But for the most part, it's uh, we have Octavia Spencer, Viola Davis. So you know, it's still mostly white folks. But there's some Denzel Washingtons in there. Um, my problem with Moonlight is just I completely didn't connect with the filmic experience nor the structure behind it. That seemed very obvious to me. I mean, my complaint about Moonlight is, is, is admittedly a very subjective one. I don't think it was objectively not good. I just didn't connect with it. But if you read people who really rip into Birdman, like my 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 criticism is somewhat similar to well what what their criticism is if they were more self aware the people who criticize Birdman which is you just don't connect with that filmmaking style you know the the, the crazy camera work in, in Birdman and the music can really grate on you if you don't have an ear for ex, like experimental jazz uh, could probably drive you crazy I could imagine to some some minds watching Birdman would drive you absolutely crazy we we loved it and we thought it was both deep and delightful and. Yep. Uh, 
you know, uh, and Moonlight was certainly had some depth, but it was not, it was not a delight for me personally. I can't put my finger on it. Like I said, I was thrown off because they had, you know, in five minutes into that movie, Dad, and I'll pass it to you, they had what's so hard to pull off in any movie, and they'd done it effortlessly, which is establish an amazing relationship between a middle-aged black man and a young black boy that wasn't weird. And... And then they t- they had a boyhood time jump and it was all over. We never saw Marshal Ali or that great little boy again. Yep, yep. It was all all downhill. So here here's here's what was going on in that movie that that, that were were problems. One, well, hold on, hold on. I I, 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 I'm sorry. I've got to put one caveat and then let you go. I want to be clear, Bizzlecast listeners, that I'm highly in support of movies like this, and I'm very sensitive to and supportive of the you know the notion of homosexuality, especially in the um, traditional black community. I'm very appreciative of all the social stuff going on in the movie. I just want to make that we both are want to make that kind of going. So my my caveat is um, I hated Boyhood. So uh, yes. this this is this is reminiscent in some ways of of, of Boyhood, mm-hmm. um, but I don't think I, I hated it. Uh, or I didn't hate this movie, but uh, like I hated Boyhood. I don't think I disliked this movie because it was so Boyhood ish like. Um, but the, the, there were those, those those elements to it. The the the, the couple of things I really didn't like about it. One was. For whatever reason, the director felt that the camera needed to be a character, and the 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 the, the camera was intruding in weird ways all, all the time, as if it was a character. Right, that's what I'm saying about Birdman. I'm saying people complain about the camera work in Birdman. We love it. That's one of the things we love about well, it. Except in except in Birdman, Birdman has is sort of built on a manic fa- foundation. It's a very manic story, mm-hmm. and the camera was in sync with that with that, that mania. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just felt more comfortable. It felt more natural. It felt like it fit the story. And I love the, the camera work in, in, in Birdman. Sure. But in this, it didn't fit no. somehow for, the, for the, me. The, the straight-up uh, close-ups on the face centered in the middle of the screen during serious moments, I just wanted to giggle. I yeah. mean that that's a Wes Anderson move, and I turned to you during the movie yeah. and told you I thought that it was very Wes Anderson. He was going on, which felt inappropriate with everything else going yes. on. Right, right. This was not a Wes Anderson story. Yeah. Um, and that that and that goes to the uh, the more fundamental reason I didn't like this movie is that, and and I thought that this is the problem I was going to have with Manchester by the Sea, and I did to some degree. I, you know, he he's so damaged in 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 uh, Manchester by the Sea. Casey's uh, uh, character is so damaged and he can't pull himself out of it. And I usually have real difficulties sure. with the, you know, self-destructive characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it almost paled. Casey's character almost paled in the light of the, the, the four phases of, of, of Kevin, um, who was the protagonist in, in this. He was so damaged from, from childhood that, you know, I mean, how many sentences did he speak in, in this? He hardly spoke. Yeah. He was so traumatized. He was so damaged. Um, and I just, I just couldn't connect with him because he yeah. was so abused. Think- and it was just ugly. It was an ugly story. Right. And then, then they flip it at the end where he's like, you know, seemingly a tough guy running a drug operation with grills and he's, he's, he's ripped. I mean, that, that part rang that true. I thought that's the thing. Yeah, it it rings true, but, but it's, it's really sad. You know, he goes from, from a soft, sensitive, sweet boy into this thug. Yeah. 
uh, well, on the surface, he's he's a thug. I, I think he, you know, once he reconnected with his boyhood love, he softened up, and that was the end, wasn't it? Wasn't it the end when he was just being cradled by yeah by um his buddy uh, his buddy his, his, by his buddy yeah. I mean, I, I will say that I think what was brilliant about the movie, uh, in hindsight, was that um, <sighs> they make fun of him and beat him up, and they say he's gay. But they think they're just making fun of him. They don't actually think he's gay. And the fact that he is gay is really interesting. And this movie mm-hmm. is specifically about the fact that urban, you know, yes, support for gay marriage and so forth has gone up in this country. It doesn't mean that tolerance for gay people has gone up um, or acceptance, which is way more important than tolerance. And But in urban areas, the communities that tend to still be a little behind the curve uh, tend, tend to be working class community, ethnic communities. And when I say ethnic, I'm including like Italians and Irish people in Philadelphia and stuff. I'm talking about mm-hmm. the black community, the Latino community, especially any community where religion is very important, you know, like serious mm-hmm. Christians mm-hmm. of any type of any race of any ethnicity. It, it's, it's difficult. Um, you know, I, I you, you never see, you know, like black guys holding hands or anything like that, which is hilarious because in Africa, it's common for for men to hold hands in a completely platonic way and no one says two yep. things about it so right, this just right. goes to show you on top of all the racist nonsense that black people in this country have to go through and have had to go through continue to have to go through you know that that being uh, you know physical with another man should be so horrible as well I, I think was really was at the core of the movie again my complaint was was the i don't like the filmmaking I guess we're in agreement on that. <laughs> yeah, uh, you 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 cut out there for a whole sentence. That's why I wasn't I was exactly sure what, oh. what you what oh, I you said, closed with. Oh, I'm sorry. I said I said I said I, I'm totally behind and understand and appreciate all the themes in the movie. Um, and uh, you know, I think it has sat with me maybe twenty percent better than the original viewing. Um, although I'd never yep. watch it again because uh, it was just so uncomfortable to watch, but not in a, in, in a way that I could comprehend that seemed to fit. That's the thing. In, like you said, yeah, the, the camera work in Birdman was was mirroring what was going on narratively. It's not clear to me that the camera work in Moonlight was mirroring anything, but them trying to be a little experimental with the shooting. Yes, right. What you right. could say about, about Wes Anderson. I mean... There's a reason why some Wes Anderson movies work better than others. The reason Grand Budapest Hotel works so well is because the narrative and the storytelling in the movie works perfectly with the aesthetic um, uh, of Wes Anderson, right? Well, he's he's able he's able to make a camera comedic, right? Right. right. He, he, yeah. he, he like can a, make his his yeah. It's like like shooting Bill Murray from any angle. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, or or Ed Norton and his uh his uh Boy Scout, you know oh a little God. outfit, smoking a cigarette and just <laughs> And that's they'll just hold the shot, you know. It wasn't that he, they yeah. used, cl- you know, weird close-ups. It was when they and how they used it. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So this is totally an aesthetic thing for me. I also thought the dialogue was highly unmemorable. Um, well, there wasn't that that much. I mean, this yeah. poor kid was so 
so traumatized he didn't he didn't talk. Yeah, but you compare it to, to Hell or High Water, which was super minimalist, and every line in Hell or High Water was interesting or funny or deep or goofy. You know, I mean, yes, yes, the the, yes. the the lack of excess and rate of hitting on quality written lines in that movie um, is why I think it should you know at least be nominated for for a writing credit. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, Manchester on the Sea is depressing. This is also depressing. It's it's a different experience, but at least in Manchester on the Sea, Dad, you can you know p- put your cards um, uh, down. Um, how do I phrase this? You're, you at least know you're riding with Casey Affleck the whole way, who you already like going into it. And if nothing right. else, you can just tune it out and just watch a performance. This you you didn't right. know who was going to be sticking around when for how long. You know these time jumps don't work. I'm sorry, Boyhood was a, not a good movie. These time jumps don't work. They never look like the characters that they're replacing. And even in uh, the hilarious part about Boyhood is he looks nothing like his younger self, even though it's theoretically the same kid. <laughs> he has the same kid, right? You know? right? And he turns out to be, he goes from an annoying kid to an annoying hipster. I mean, that's the whole journey that we go on. Yeah, Maybe Boyhood was a, was a tale, uh, well, cautionary tale of millennials. Who knows? Um, actually, yeah, he would be like exactly a millennial, um, that kid. Uh, it was a boy. It was a boring story of a boring kid. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was just... Yeah. So this this had more going for it than Boyhood, for sure. But, uh, oh, yeah. Much more. Yeah. So more. I, here's the thing, though, Dad. I, I don't want it to win. Like, I don't want this to be the black movie that wins. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want it to win because it's the black movie. And if it wins because of people really like it that much, then God bless. I mean, it won the Golden Globe, you know? It's, so, not, it's, it's not really a black... It's really a gay movie. It, you know, it's oh, more that's interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, right. So you think it would be more like a gay vote, quote unquote, than a black vote? Yeah. Yes. Cause again, yeah. it's the same old crusty white dudes and a couple crusty white women that are voting for this stuff. So who fucking knows what's going on in their brains? Right. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, it could, could have a, could have a year where it, it is for, possible that, uh, pe- people of color can win all the major characters other than, um, all the major, um, uh, awards categories category yeah. no everyone best supporting best actor actress picture director uh, uh I, I don't think yeah. denzel is going to beat casey no uh, yeah but i'm saying that at least there's there's someone nominated yes oh absolutely um right. and uh you know also we should mention moonlight hidden figures and fences all nominated for best adaptive screenplay as is Lion yes. in the last movie we're going to talk about today, and you'll have to come back for part two. Thanks for sticking with us, um, which is the movie Arrival, which, as I said, came out months earlier to great critical acclaim. I had been tracking it probably six months up until we saw it because of how early, how long the rollout period was and how early you know they were releasing trailers, considering it was a semi-indie movie. So maybe my, my, um, my expectations were a little high. Um, I, I think that I I probably like Amy Adams a little bit less than the average American movie watcher. I think I like Jeremy Renner more than the average American movie watcher. Um, I love Forrest Whitaker, but he doesn't always take the best material and it kind of, the material really needs to hit with him. Like for me, I mean, let's be honest. Let's, let's be honest. I mean, this is, this is real talk here. Forrest Whitaker in Rogue One was a thousand times better than Forrest Whitaker and, uh, Arrival. I mean, he was completely forgettable as a, just a faceless black general in Arrival. He was a huge, huge part of the first third of Rogue One and one of the all-time memorable uh, Hollywood characters, I think. Yeah, 
I, I can't disagree with that. I mean, you know, the, the general that he plays in Arrival is just sort of standard variety. Yeah. And uh, and the and the and the character of Saw Gerrera, uh, as you rewatch Rogue One and, and and see Rebels and and the extended universe stuff is a really really fascinating character. I mean he's you know he was he was the resistance fighter that was too uh, rebellious for the rebellion. Um, is a side of Star Wars no one thought could be done. They did it in ten minutes with Forrest Whitaker because he's that fucking good. Um, and uh, so we go to see the movie, Dad. Yep. And we're sitting there, and uh, you know Amy Adams looking you know cute cute as. A, as, as a peach um right. you know like she she seems southern to me like she has a southern bell thing i don't know if she is from the south but she just you know she's she's like she's like a red-headed country singer from the south or something like that and yeah, uh, I that. you know what i'm saying and mm-hmm. and i just i you know i could tell early they were they're doing what i call archaeological sci-fi which has to do with artifacts and communication and language and everything on paper was so great and i remember sitting there and sitting there and sitting there and by the time it got to spoiler alert the fact that there was a time loop going on which i am a nerd again for time loop stuff i was just left hollow i really was and and i've had to really control myself because i I could lose major bizzlecast credibility for going on record specifically about not liking arrival i mean noah noah temple is constantly on my ass because we agree on pretty much every other movie in the sci-fi realm and he's as much of a nerd as, uh, as i am when it comes to film he's seen even more he's writing one like I said, Arrival, like so many of these movies, had it all for me on paper. But when it came time, it came down to those performances and and how the the, the dynamic of communication unfolded. Maybe I've just read too many sci-fi books. I don't know. Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, I think it just comes down to the fact that you've read, you know, the best, the best of the best sci-fi. You're comparing it to the best of the best, and it's not. Uh, you're not feeling it to be as satisfying as some long, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, so for, uh, forget my opinion for now, because this, this is the question I want to ask you, which is: Yeah, pretend you saw the movie with or without me, and and you liked it a lot, like, or you liked it as much as you actually liked it. Yes. How would you sell the movie? Pretend I'm not a sci-fi nerd. I just like good movies. How would you sell me on Arrival? There's no right answer okay. to this question. I'm just curious where you'll take this because we didn't right, talk right. much about it. So, so I, I'm not a, a sci-fi guy, so I don't know about all all the all the time loop stuff and time jump uh, or time loop stuff. Um, well, you know John so, Connor, which is the greatest time loop ever. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm saying you know you yeah. know the mechanics of it, but yeah, go ahead. Yes, yes. So I love the directorial hand in in this movie. I just uh, you know sometimes you like a director, sometimes you don't, and I just. Uh, I, I like the, the spareness of it. You know, I loved Gravity. You didn't like Gravity, um, right? I did not like Gravity. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I loved Gravity. It was, it was spare. It was balletic and poetic. Um, and I thought that this was had that for me the same feel to it. it was very spare. And uh, and uh, the director didn't try to jazz jazz the story up. Other than you know, he had to create the uh, the heptapods or whatever they were, and I, which I, was I a liked. Surprised that, I liked the design. He, yeah, I, th- I thought I remember you saying that. So, um, you know, he 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 visualized the heptapods, but other than that, uh, I, I did. You know, I thought it was uh, it was understated. I loved her, Amy Adams, as as a as a brainy uh, academic linguist. Um, I really liked her. Uh, 
you know, I like her more than 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 you like her in in general. Uh, I like Renner less than you like Renner in in general. Well, everyone likes Renner less than I like Renner. Oh, okay. Um, I just so think he lo- takes movies that he's not written well for. When he's written well, from the Hurt Locker to the Avengers movies, he's fantastic. When he's not given good material, he's he's not great with it. Right. So I, I just loved her her character and the way she portrayed her character as understated, very thoughtful, brave, and, and courageous, and um, creative. Uh, she was just, you know, a, 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 a brainy, gutsy intellectual, which appeals to me. Yep. And uh, um, Arrival, I just, yeah. Arrival made me, ahead. I was going to say, a movie that I've appreciated increasingly on rewatches, and especially after doing my commentary, which I haven't released yet, which I'm, I'm going to do soon, Arrival really made me appreciate Interstellar. <clears throat> oh. Because Interstellar also had a time loop. Yes. But that was the whole third, final third of the movie was figuring out why it was a time loop and, and the fact that it, that movie, unlike the ones we talked about, the time jump is amazing because Matthew McConaughey is physically time jumping and, you know, his young daughter grows up to be Jessica Chastain and they're like, how is this going to connect? And it connects through the young version of her. And so just like with John Connor, what makes a John Connor loop uh, amazing, you know, is that, and that I bring this up actually on the crossing streams uh, that we just recorded talking about the flash. Yes. Flash is having yes. lots of problems with, uh, with time loop stuff and time travel is impossible to do, but if you're going to do it, you have to make it both personal, but also like world ending. Uh, either for good or bad. Like the mm-hmm. reason the John Connor time loop is interesting is because he's a you know like a level of Messiah beyond like Moses or David or even Jesus. You know what I mean? And so you have a single time travel event that causes this huge future. It's not just you know oh I'm going back to save my grandfather. Or, oh you know what I mean? And, and so Matthew McConaughey. And that's exactly what what I, what I liked about this one. No it, no it I wasn't. I know I, I'm, this it was, wasn't that. It was yeah. small. Yeah. Folk, it was a little little thing that just bore on her life, and I guess on Renner's life too, since it was his child as well. I'm just. So I liked it, the fact that it was small. No, I do too. I do too. I, I, if you let me finish my thought, I was saying this was the exception to my my rule. Um, you know, it, I'm saying what I'm saying is Interstellar perfectly bridges the John Connor thing and the Arrival thing because it is super personal and small between him and his daughter, but it also is you know huge for the existence of 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 the earth but matthew mcconaughey is doing it for her not for the all of humanity that's the whole point of that that story um but but the bigger the bigger comparison and what makes me appreciate it is i just think matthew mcconaughey pulled a ton more dramatic uh, weight (laughs) in interstellar than amy adams does in this movie and that's not her fault you know i mean it was it was a spare script interstellar was like two and a half hours long um you know i mean there's there's a there's a lot of reasons that you, you can't compare it I, I, there's not that I dislike Amy Adams. I just continue to be baffled as to her level of fame compared to great movies that she's been the central star of. Well, they look at they they typically write flamboyant roles for for McConaughey, and so he's a he's he's a all, you know almost always a bigger than life guy. In this instance, it was the opposite. She's playing a, you know an understated academic with a with a uh, a very kind of uh, unexciting life other than where she lives in that gorgeous spot where her home is. Um, and she teaches and she, you know, she's just a teacher. She's, she's just lives an ordinary life and, and there, there's no drama about her. 
She's right. just straightforward. She wants to solve this problem. She starts to really connect with these heptapods and um, really feels that pretty much the rest of the earth is, is going in a wrong-headed direction. Mm-hmm. With the with all the fear and saber rattling and all of that, yep. so I mean, I just find her a, a very appealing, sure. understated, courageous woman in in, the, in this role. Yeah, and, and I love that character in all the millions of sci-fi books I've read that have dealt with this stuff. And uh, so it's not a, it's, it's not a fair comparison. But like, let me let, let me ask you to compare a, a, another film to this one that I think are very similar structurally, even though one's sci-fi and one's almost like hard hard fic, um, almost nonfiction. That movie is Zero Dark Thirty. Mm-hmm. You have a you know uh, extremely smart. Uh, it takes a little, Amy Adams a little while to get motivated. Once she's motivated, she's like furiously motivated, just yep. like Chastain is in Zero Dark Thirty. And they have to solve a series of puzzles. And half of what's interesting in the movie is kind of aesthetic or plot, and the other half is like the character stuff that's going on. Right? You see where I'm going with this? Yes, but uh, yeah, to but me, to it's me, a little bit. Yeah. It's a little bit apples and oranges because in in uh, Zero Dark Thirty, there's all the you know the explosions and the and the the uh, the uh, the bad guys that we. There's really not a lot of action actually in that movie. There's like two actions the scenes before the end. Really? Yeah. It's just it's there, there's there's this the suicide bomber that they that they think's a good guy that led into the base that blows up in yep. Afghanistan. Yes. And then there's the final uh the final raid uh which is I think only ends up being like 10 minutes uh 10 15 minutes. Almost all that movie is uh is drama. Um and which I love. And almost in, uh, that was the thing I did love about Arrival. It wasn't Independence Day, which is why when the military rose up, I was like, this is such a predictable sci-fi trope. Like, we've even seen this in movies way less good than Arrival. You know, the military's always getting involved. Yeah, but, but, but Zero Dark Thirty to me feels like, like Homeland. And yes. Arrival is a, complete, is a completely different movie. Yeah. I'm just talking about having a, you know, relatively youngish, redheaded you know, sort of modern action star and, uh, you know, in a, in a essentially scientific field. I mean, Zero Dark Thirty character is forensics, ultimately. Uh, yes. She's, yes she's not an agent. That, that's what I'm saying. She's a scientist. Her science is finding and tracking down terrorists. And she yep. does it great. You know, that's what was great about The Wire was the MacGyver, MacGyvery stuff, right? Mm-hmm, that's what mm-hmm. you're going to love about Arrow when you watch it. Is he's not just a uh, he's not just a dude going around, rich kid going around shooting people with arrows, but the contraptions that he comes up with and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that that's really important. Um, but and I like the slow pace. I, I think I was just I, I I was waiting for. Let me put it this way. I think my my expectation became became that there was going to be a revelation about the aliens beyond just the personal connection to her. Because then it becomes a, a bit of a radically selfish kind of tale, where, uh, or not selfish isn't the word, self-centered tale from the perspective of the writer, where we end up caring more about the aliens because of what they do to the lead character, as opposed to just them existing and being for themselves. Like, oh, now we want them to survive, because if they don't survive, then this other thing isn't going to happen. Um, I don't know if that makes sense to you. Mm. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I, well, I get do you, it. Do you even remember? It was a while ago. I mean, do you remember what the? Uh, do you remember what the? Um, they they the, were here. The, the science they, of the they twist were here, was. They were here to save the world, our right. world, right? They were here to, to help s- out. They were basically here to yeah help us 
save ourselves from ourselves. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. I mean, that's a, that's a very humanistic thing. Of course, Interstellar is the same story. It just turned out that the the uh, super advanced aliens in the future in Interstellar were us, uh, who came back to save us. These are aliens who, co- who come to save us. And I love that they were existing in all times. I think this is the thing, Dad. All the sort of sci-fi t- twists I-, I already had before it happened. Like, the fact that they were living in, you know... Uh, the, of the fourth dimension of time going forwards and backwards. Like it was already in my head. So I think this is, I don't think, I don't think that I experienced the film as particularly a sci-fi film. I Mm. I found it sort of kind of very Zen and meditative and, Mm -hmm. and all that ink writing stuff. Uh, you know, the squid ink writing stuff was very cool. And, and her, um, evolving a relationship with them. So, I mean, I didn't, you know, I just experienced it as kind of a different different movie. I didn't experience it as an Interstellar, which for me was kind of was was a sci fi movie. This was different for for me. Yeah, yeah. It's and it's is very comparable to Gravity, and then it has a certain slow but not boring pacing. Um, it has a meditativeness to it. The yes. science fiction, um, and you know, and this is Noah's big thing. I mean, he likes nerdy sci fi too, but he's you know he says when he's writing science sci fi. He wants to only have it be sci-fi if that's where the story takes it naturally. Like, I'm not, you know, you don't sit down and say, I'm going to write a movie that takes place on Mars, or I'm going to write a, you know, a big giant space opera. I mean, a lot of people do that, but I kind of agree with Noah, and, and, and that's this. I mean, this is, this is in the sci-fi genre, but yeah, it's not a straight-ahead a sci-fi movie. Um, and, uh, I don't know. I guess, it, I, um, again, the, and this will be my final thought, and I'll let you have your, your final thought is just uh nothing hit for me this year maybe it was, i was just off you know i don't like i don't know why a western which i don't normally like you know hit so well with with hell or high water and almost everything else i saw um didn't didn't really didn't really resonate with me um maybe maybe i, I enjoy yeah. i'm sorry i was gonna say maybe it's just the uh the the general nausea of uh, of living in the world in the last three months it's hard to it's hard to appreciate yeah I suspect it, it's yeah. It, it's more it's more that I mean I of the six that I have seen mm-hmm. um, I, I enjoyed them all except for for Moonlight uh, even God only knows how La La Land I I I enjoyed mm-hmm. um, so. Uh, I thought they were, you know, there was some good, good filmmaking here. Hell or High Water, you know, which is, I, I don't know if you saw it. It's up for, for best original screenplay. Yes, yes. Oh, it is. Oh, okay. Yes, it is. Oh, that's it is. Great. Okay. It's great. Right. Yep. Um, so I really loved Arrival. I loved Hell or High Water. I loved Hidden Figures. I pretty much loved Manchester and I liked La La Land enough. Um, kind of glad I saw it. I mean, you know what the, the thought experiment if it wasn't up for an academy award i probably wouldn't have gone to, to see it so, well, what, land, just oh, based right. on what i'd heard just based on what, what i'd heard about it um what about moonlight but what about if moonlight wasn't yeah. nominated or didn't win that the, the golden globes if, if moonlight wasn't nominated uh, i would probably go see it because of the the subject matter you know it's it's it's, it's already um it's ed, it's on it's on the edge it's socially relevant um difficult material so i I probably would have wanted to to see it Mm -hmm. yeah um it should also be mentioned uh the and this is not a category that we see often in terms of in theater but uh, this is a great animated film year uh both 
commercially. I mean, Kubo and the Two Strings and Moana are, are both nominated. Moana, of course, being about Hawaiian um, people amused with some music by um, our buddy Lin-Manuel. Uh, was critically mm-hmm. acclaimed. Kubo and the Two Strings was also critically acclaimed. I think that one was so like ethnically Japanese that it, it didn't make a lot of money. Zootopia, oh. Zootopia oh. made a ton of money, and people are very split about whether they hate or love it, that movie. It's one of those movies. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll have to see what, 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 what goes on with the rest. But I guess it, there, there seemed to be... You know, a, a similarity of tones in a lot of these movies this year. It's oh, maybe maybe they were feeling you know the the darkness at the end of of the tunnel of light that was Obama in a way. You know, it's hard to know wh- where the zeitgeists come from. You know, you have a movie like La La Land that's so disconnected from reality, and then you have a movie like Moonlight that it hits home so real that it's painful. I guess it's good. Right. Um, oh, that's what I wanted to ask you. Uh, did you uh, about Manchester really quickly, um, and then we'll close out. Did you feel like it was it was uh, realism, like through and through? Yeah, I think that uh, I think I heard this from from your mom that the uh, the two of the people involved in this film. Let's see, was it the uh, it was right? The director was the writer, and then there were this there was this other guy who wrote it with him as well. That it had to do with their with their childhoods, um, I guess they're probably both gay guys, uh, and uh, I think there's probably a lot of gay literature out there like like this. I mean, I haven't re- I ever read in, any any gay literature, but I, I, I'm guessing that this uh, mirrors uh, uh, or echoes a lot of it. And uh, you know, they're just trying to reflect the painfulness of their growing up. Mm-hmm as this type of minority a gay child a gay teenager yeah certainly an issue one of many issues to contend with at the moment uh well thanks papa b uh we'll do a uh, addendum to this uh when you at least see the other three movies i'd say there's a uh close to 100 percent chance that i'll see one of the other three movies i'm not sure what the yep. chance of all three for me um, I think probably Hacksaw Ridge because if nothing else, I get a historical drama, which right. is always the thing right. I'm going to prefer, even over science right. fiction and stuff like that, is, is historical dramas. Um, and it looks like they did a damn good job on it. And I, I'm the only, and, and Matt mocks me for this, I'm the only one who thinks that um, uh, even though the movies w- w- were considered much worse and, and did somewhat worse financially, that the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man was way, way cooler than the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. Mm. I always I thought he was really good. And at the time, I thought it was Emma Stone that was pulling him up. Um, but uh, it turns out he's, he's good. So I think that'll be the next one. Um, any big predictions in terms of upsets? And then we'll sign out here. Oh, upset. Um, let me go back to the list here. Uh, you know, give me one. It's so give me give me one. Give me one. Even if it's a bit, if if it's even if in your mind it's a, t- a bit of a long shot. Give, give me one where you could maybe see an upset. It's just so hard to predict what those Hollywood people are going to do. Um, well, the upset. Well, the upset would be, uh, you know that. That Casey doesn't get it, and 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 uh, and Denzel gets it. Mm-hmm. I, I I would say that that's as that's as big of an upset as I can visualize. 
Yep. And uh, uh, my uh, upset pick um, will be... um, it's tough. It's really tough because it seems like all the favorites. My, if I had to like put money on something that I thought would never win, but I could get like two thousand to one odds kind of thing, would yeah. be would be Ruth Nega. I've oh. heard really good things about that movie, and it's extremely, extremely socially relevant. Like even way more yes, than it is. than uh, yes. than Moonlight. Right. And if they decide if if the vote gets split between Emma Stone and Meryl Streep, let's say. And right. Ruth Nega, you know, gains momentum. There's no way Natalie or, or Isla Hubbard are going to win. Yeah. I kind of think Meryl Streep's not going to win just because it's Meryl Streep and it's not time for her. We just have to wait a couple more years to win her 1,000th one. Yes. Uh, I, I think if you're, I mean, let's put it this way, Dad. Just knowing what loving is about and having seen La La Land, wouldn't you rather <laughs> reward loving just for being a great movie about what it's about? Absolutely. Just to Absolutely. leave you guys with it. And you know what, Dad? I think we'll put that on the list, that movie. I don't know if it's still anywhere. But that I think I'd even want to see that one before Fences. Because, okay. because people out there, just so you know, if you do get a chance to see Loving, starring Ruth ne- uh, Nega and Joel, uh, Joel, is it Edgerton or Edgerton, who's supposedly great in that? Edgerton, I believe. Yeah. And it, it's basically about a, a, you know, a white man and, and a black woman in Virginia. We saw also Hidden Figures racism in Virginia. And yep. they try and have an interracial marriage, and actually, we see this exact story—not this exact one, but you know this thing—and um, but reversed uh, slightly. And um, oh god, oh that was the other movie that got snubbed, Dad, that we keep forgetting. Mm. Free State of Jones. Oh, Free State of Jones, right? Well, that, that was really early in the year, so now I understand why we forgot it. Yeah, and it got not great reviews, and I don't understand. That movie was fantastic. It was. It was really great. I mean, talk about a movie that empowered black people, but in a way that was historically accurate. I thought they nailed it. And there was like the story of like Matthew McConaughey's, you know, distant descendant having to deal in the 60s with an interracial marriage thing when they find out he's like one eighth black or something. Right. I think. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and he's married to a white woman. Um, So uh, go out and check that out. Thank you, Bizzlecast listeners. And uh, thanks, Papa B, for being on. All right, so as promised, uh, we made a little time jump here, but keeping it in the same podcast, uh, Papa Bizzle wanted to see the final three movies that we did not talk about. Um, just to recap, uh, we talked about six of the nine uh, Best Picture nominees, um, which included um, La La Land, Moonlight, Arrival, Hell or High Water, uh, Hidden Figures, and uh, Manchester by the Sea. Did I get those all right, Papa B? You did. All right. And you managed to see two of the final three. I did. And those being? <clears throat> Fences and Lion. Which is hilarious because the one movie that you would have thought was a lock that we would have seen by now would have been the war movie. Yeah, absolutely. I really thought, but it's really, it's, it, it just wasn't out there for very long. It wasn't. Hacksaw did, Ridge. Yeah. yeah. It disappeared very quickly. And and uh, it just came back this week to one the- theater in the area, and it's showing once at 10 o'clock at night, and that's, that's it. So, Yep. But you know what's even weirder? Mm. Is that over its lifetime, it's grossed $174 million worldwide. Oh, that's great. Including 66 domestic. That's great. So we were just not in tune, like... 
whatever it was out, we were seeing other things or we yeah. weren't seeing anything. No, I think we were, we were seeing other things uh, because I, I knew when I heard what the what it was about thematically that I wanted to see it because you know it was about a uh, uh, a pacifist and a war resistor and <laughs> I, I was re- really interested in it. Hey man, Smokey's a pacifist. <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> well, all water under the bridge. <laughs> After he pulls a gun on him. Right, right. Uh, speaking of Hacksaw Ridge and other stuff going on. Um, yeah. Oh, shit. I just screwed up my, my web browser here. Um, so, Hacksaw Ridge actually made $62 million in China, which makes zero sense. Makes zero sense. Uh, how do you account for that? That's crazy. Um, it has to do with the distributor Lionsgate, I imagine. Oh. And Universal, which put out The Great Wall, this is an even more imbalance than Warcraft. Warcraft was 10% here, 90% abroad, most of in China. The moment Great Wall has only made $21 million, uh, with Matt Damon here, which is 8.1% of its total. And not surprisingly, The Great Wall has made $170 million of its 244 overseas in China. Wow. Was, so the, was, yeah. was Hacksaw a joint uh, project with, with some Chinese production company? Um, that's interesting. Um, I don't know who owns um, Lionsgate these days. Um, so Lionsgate is an American-Canadian company, actually. Let's see. Hacksaw Ridge, which got great reviews everywhere and made money. It's Yeah, it's, it's bizarre that we weren't able to see it. So... Um, so Hacksaw Ridge was put out uh, by, slow computer here, uh, Lionsgate, um, and then Summit Entertainment. So they have, a, they have a, a wing in Australia called Icon Film Distribution. So perhaps they serve that part of the, the, yes. you know, the Pacific uh, Rim, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Um, by the way, uh, Hugo Weaving is in that movie, as is Vince Vaughn. I had no idea. In Hacksaw? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's possible we could see Hacksaw and it would be so good we could do a quick podcast on it. I feel right. bad leaving it out because that's normally the kind of movie that we really love, especially being a movie about a pacifist, you know, extolling a pacifist in a war situation. Yes. Um, so anyway, so you saw Fences and you saw uh, Lion. And we're going to yep. talk about those movies briefly and then get final thoughts. But okay. I'm curious, since we recorded the, the first, you know, uh, 75% of this podcast a few weeks ago, uh, whether the marination of La La Land and or Manchester by the Sea has changed your opinion at all in terms of how you view them or whether in terms of like their chances uh, of winning or, or not winning at the Oscars. No, I don't. I don't think much has changed, uh, other than um, Manchester by the Sea ages well in my little brain, and so mm-hmm. I, you know, it continues to be my emotional favorite even after seeing Lion and, and Fences. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's all up for grabs. Hollywood could do anything. You never know what the hell they're going to do. So I'm, you know, I wouldn't make any any predictions. I'm, I mean, I know who who I want to win awards, but I don't know who is going to win awards. I mean, you know, Mo- Moonlight could could come in and, and, and take it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, I have an interesting list here of, uh, of 18 first-time nominees at the awards, which maybe we'll get to at the end, um, okay. of which Mahershala Ali is at the top of the list. Yeah, um, yeah. And I keep finding him in more movies that we've seen, including he was like the main black dude in fucking Free State of Jones. I totally forgot that. He was the guy uh-huh. that had the thing around his neck for the first part of the movie. And I believe gets lynched, spoiler alert, late in the movie, right? 
Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, his name was like Brother Joseph or something like yeah. that. I, I, I came to know him in, in House of Cards. And he's yeah. a, you know, a big role in House of Cards. And uh, yeah. uh, you could tell, I mean, this is a really charismatic actor. Yeah. yeah. And um, he's becoming like a Don Cheadle who just excels in so many types of roles and so many kinds of media. Right. Um, even though their acting style and personality is very different, obviously. Very so, different. Yeah, very different. Uh, the only reason I, br- I brought up that other question was, you, you know, you really liked Manchester more than I thought, you know, when yep. we talked about it based on Casey's performance. Now, since then, Denzel won the SAG Award, the, the Screen Actors Guild Award for Best Actor, which is often indicative. Um, and as I pointed out to you, um, they've been promoting the hell out of Casey Affleck's role in particular for the Oscars. You know, they do these four-year consideration things that they send out to Oscar voters. Yeah. Um, but I follow these things in trade publications online, and you just see it everywhere. <clears throat> mm-hmm. um, you know, like I'm an, IMD, I'm an IMDb Pro subscriber, which you don't have to pay for, but you just have to sign up and whatever. And mm. uh, so you see these things for your consideration. Mm. Um, and I, I, it's definitely picked up since Denzel uh, upset Casey big time. So this oh, will be a great transition. Interesting. So how was Denzel? In fences, how was fences overall? Viola Davis seems like a lock. You can start about with any of those three things. So you know, I always like to start with with, with caveats and about my my biases and stuff. So, um, I for a long time have been a uh, a big fan of the playwright uh, who you know who originated this script, uh, August Wilson. Um, yep. the, you know, I, I've seen several of his plays over the decades and was always very taken by them and uh i should also say that i'm uh consistently a big denzel fan oh yeah yeah and uh any other caveats no so my you my generally liked the- viola davis when you've seen her like in uh, the help for example yes a- a- absolutely but but she's she's such a lock in in this that yeah. you know it, 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 there's not much really to say i mean she's so she's so ec- excellent in this I guess the other thing that I've said, I can't remember whether I, I mentioned on, on the first podcast. I think I, I, I may have. I mean, part one. Um, it was so obvious from the trailer. I think even before I knew who, where, where this property came from, that is, that it was a play. It was so obvious from the trailer that it, 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 was, it was a play. And so I have to say that this may be the most non-cinematic movie you will ever freaking see in your life Hmm. there is nothing cinematic about this movie it's like filming a play so we're we're, we're talking about lack of moving cameras lack of weird angles sticking long shots with single cameras i'm reading in between your lines all all of that um dialogue 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 it's it's almost takes the act of action i mean that, that's a broad use of the word action the action takes place um almost exclusively in the house or in the backyard mm-hmm. so you're you know they add some frills uh out and about in um gee i forget what what the the location is um where where they are is it memphis or i don't know where where they are but uh there's a there's a few locations but it's just you know it's it's gratuitous um so it is the most non-cinematic movie you'll ever see. And in part, that colors my reaction to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, you know, I don't know whether to go fish or fowl on this. I mean, is it, is it something that should be done? And, by the way, Denzel just signed on to do 
like what seven more of these oh right. hbo yeah he's going to do seven more of these plays uh cinematically for hbo that's so great i love to hear that yeah so but i mean you know it it, do, it exposes the the uh the uh what, what what do you call a play it's not a screenplay it's a uh well just playwriting yeah yeah so anyway it exposes his 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 properties his uh his writings august wilson's writings to a much greater audience that would ever see them. So I suppose for that reason, um, I should be supportive of it. But you really have to change your frame of mind when you go to see this because it's not a freaking movie. It is a play. Well, and let's, let's just work backwards quickly. HBO yeah. is clearly a much better form for this. Good, good point. When you go into a movie theater, you expect to have a cinematic experience. Right. Now, I would contrast this to Moonlight, which tried to be more cinematic than it needed to be. <clears throat> <laughs> That's for sure. Right. Um, so, in that sense, I think it's a good thing. Now, if your expectations, even knowing it was a play with a playwright behind it, uh, you know, if your expectations were there, there'd be some cinematicness <laughs> to it, uh, then, yeah, that, that could be tough to watch, especially if it's a, a long or kind of drawn-out movie. Um, right. Did you find, in terms of the experience, that you were, like, bored or you were just sort of confused by what was going on no I, not I, going on? I i wasn't confused because i know i knew what was happening but it was like you know how you see those trailers for seeing the opera at, at the movie theater right you know it was like you know i kept feeling feeling like you know i'm being shown an opera um, yeah but the thing is i would totally see like an all-star cast of les mis at a movie theater if i could but i would know that i'm going into it for that yes right as as would i so um and because it was a play originally, and because I don't think they tweak the uh, the play very much, um, if, if if at all, you know, it doesn't play like a movie. It, it's 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 over emotive. It's uh, too much dialogue. Uh, it's broader than than a typical movie. You know, the the acting is broader. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he did it on on, on Broadway. Yeah, he he did it first as as a play. I guess she did too, probably, right? I what, think that's what I heard, but I haven't yeah. researched this. Yeah, yeah. So I think it was difficult for them to kind of dial it back for for the for the for the camera. Mm-hmm. Now I don't know if I was reading into it because of my biases here, but anyway, that's how I experienced it. It's kind of it's kind of too broad for for the for the the movie screen, and um, the. The number three or number four actor in it, who's sort of Denzel's sidekick, is really um, acting as if he's he's on a stage. I mean, it, it, Just the performances I, I, are, are more broad and sort of over the yeah, top. Yeah, I mean, he's like he he must be a Broadway guy. I mean, I should have done the, the research on him. I recognize him, and I almost feel like I recognize him from a play here in, in Philadelphia, but which is possible, but. Um, he was really Broadwaying it up. Mm-hmm. He he was on a stage with his 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 acting. I think his was the most most notable. Hmm. And then you know the other thing is um, well there's there's lots of things about this. Uh, you know it's ostensibly a play about a black family, but right. you know what? It could really be very easily a blue collar. You know, white working class f- family, which is just great. As easily, we've been calling for this. 
We, this is exactly what Gabriel and I were talking about last year. Oh, uh, like, right. let's get regular American working class stories that happen to be black people that don't have to. I mean, maybe it's about the black experience, but doesn't have to be about slavery or huge amounts of racism. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it's it, it's it's definitely that. I mean, it's about a dad who at a point in his life was a, uh, a, a high potential athlete, a baseball player. And because he was black, he ne- never made it uh, a, a, as a professional baseball player. So he ended up being a garbage collector. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's, you know, his kind of hopes and dreams have been dashed and he takes it out on his son. Hmm. Um, and, uh, his wife, his, his long-suffering wife, who he does love in, in, in many different ways, but he cheats on her, by the way, hmm. um, you know, is buffeted, his wife is buffeted by, by all this drama between Denzel and, and his son. Um, so it's a very kind of traditional story black white purple that really doesn't make any any difference it's a it's a a family drama yep. um the black language is, is wonderful you know i love their their use of uh of uh you know kind of uh, urban black right. american which derives from the south right mm-hmm. um and i wish i could remember where where this was, was it north carolina well, the, i can't remember to be fair yeah. As big as Denzel is, Denzel and Viola are both very black, black actors. And I mean that in the best way possible. I mean, right. they, you don't need to over-blackify a movie like that. They're just, you know, they're prominent African-Americans in real life. And so I think that must translate at, in some way to the movie. I mean, I guess to be more specific, they, it, I'm asking you, they weren't specifically playing it not black if, if you can say something like that correct they 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 were they were playing it black black urban black urban f- 50s i yep. believe and um so there was all of that that veneer and it was it was very authentically black in in, in that way mm-hmm. and the, the use of language is wonderful you know the cadences and it's so musical and you know everything about black language but mm-hmm. Um, it didn't have to be about about a black family, which I guess is what you and Gabriel were talking about last last year. It's a uh, it's a uh, everyday f- family drama that yep. just happens to be about a, a black family and their their circumstances. Yeah, and do you remember um, uh, when we? I don't know if you remember when we talked about Moonlight. I talked about how even though urban areas tend to be more progressive when it comes to things like uh, gay marriage, traditional groups traditional working class religious groups of all races and ethnicities tend to be you know a little bit more resistant to to some social issues like that um and the the connection here being in philly i think is a great example of of there's in some ways in philly you know the black and white working classes have more in common with one another than with the black and white, you know, upper middle class um, in the city and in the suburbs. And, and that's why I think right. it's cool that you have movies like that, you know? Right, right. Um, so was it a good film? Was it a great film? You know, the, 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 other, the other ding I give it, and uh, I'm sort of schizophrenic about this because I said how much I love his plays, but it's kind of, an, it's kind of old-fashioned. Uh, it's an old-fashioned narrative structure. Um, it just has an old-fashioned feeling of it. He was born in, in 1945, 
he's uh, no longer alive. He's been dead for over, over ten years. Oh, um, okay. And it just it's just very kind of. 1950s, 1960s. Uh, it just feels old-fashioned, and I think it just plays better on the stage than it does on a mm-hmm. 2017 screen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it'd be a lot more compelling on on stage mm-hmm. in that in that three-dimensional, uh, very immediate, intimate environment rather than on the two-dimensional screen at such a distance. So I don't think it translates all that well to the screen. How, how will it go on, on TV when, when uh, on HBO when Denzel uh, cranks this thing up? I, probably, as you were suggesting, probably better on the oh, small yeah. screen than on the uh, the big big silver screen. That'll get great ratings. People being able to see Denzel regularly yeah. on HBO. Yeah. Come on, right? So I don't know. I found it a little a little tedious. It's it's. I don't feel that it's much of a stretch for for Denzel. I mean, so it's way inside his wheelhouse. So, you know, he may get it, but I, I'm not exactly rooting for him to, to get it. Maybe he deserves it after not, not getting it. I mean, how many times has he not – how many times has he been a, a nominee and not gotten it? So, yeah, I mean, I guess that was my earlier question about Manchester by the Sea. It was a bit of a leading question as to whether it, this reinforces that Casey Affleck, in your mind, should win the award. Well, it does for me completely. I mean, uh, you know, if uh, depending on the answer to my question about how many how many times has uh, Denzel been nominated and not received it, I mean, if he's been nominated three, four, or five times has not received it, well, maybe it's his due at at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, because my God, he the, the 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 guy the guy speaks utters a lot of freaking words in this role. You know, it's a play yep. and. I mean, he's there's a lot of freaking lines in this, thousands probably. Well, in some ways, though, Dad, I could argue that this movie is the anti La La Land, <clears throat> in the sense of you know putting plays. Forget what you said earlier about the operas, you know, showing occasionally. I'm talking about movies that are actually plays, but billed as movies and produced as movies. Yes, that didn't exist in old school cinema. I mean, old school cinema was way over the top and tons of musicals, you know, and the move towards more realism kind of started in the 70s with Kubrick and Scorsese and so forth, right? Right. More naturalistic actor. So even though this might feel old school being a play, in some ways it's kind of revolutionary. Um, You know, and again, the HBO thing, I could argue that like the John Adams series felt like a play in all the best ways. And I love that miniseries. True. That was spectacular. True. Mm -hmm. Um, And and interestingly, (laughs) the budget of Fences was $24 million, which I have to think was just to pay Denzel. (laughs) Although, you know, it it was probably such a a labor of love for him. He he, could have done the thing on on the come for as far as that goes. Okay, but Ex Machina cost $9 million. So how do you spend $24 million on Fences? Oh, oh, I, I see what you're saying. So anyway, so this is a great transition because Lion will be the last movie, then we'll wrap up. So yeah. IMDb has a great list of the 18 first-timers nominated, and it's almost all writers and directors. August Wilson, nominated posthumously for Fences. Mm-hmm. My guess is he wins as a, uh, a tribute award. Oh. Um, hmm. 
Uh, number two, Dallas Dennis. I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce the name. The director of Arrival, Villanueva, oh, right, or Villanueva. Right, right. Yep, yep, yep. Um, he also directed Sicario, which I have to actually watch, but everyone raves about. And he's also directing the Blade Runner sequel coming out later this year, which I'm excited about, uh, mm-hmm. in which Gosling is in and Harrison Ford. Um, and he's doing the film adaptation of Dune, which actually gives me some comfort. Uh, it depends on the script and the studio. Um, because even though in our review, I'm very harsh on Arrival, it was directed excellently. Absolutely. Um, and uh, I love his choices of these sci-fi properties he's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and this is going to connect a line. I'm just going to run through a few of these. So uh, the uh, original screenplay for Hell or High Water, Taylor Sheridan, nominated first time. Um, Allison Schroeder, nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay for hi- co-writing Hidden Figures, which one of my favorite movies of the year. Our guy Dev Patel nominated for Lion. So t- why don't you talk about him and talk about Lion? He's a first-time okay. nominee. Well, this is this is a very interesting film um, because it's really, as I told you the other night at dinner, I think um, it, it's really two two movies stylistically. There's the first third, and then there's the, the second two thirds. The the first third is um, is unique. Uh, the second two thirds is more kind of typical Hollywood, but the first third is you're experiencing um, a very traumatic bunch of months and maybe a couple of years of a little boy's life through his through his eyes. There's not a whole lot of dialogue, um, and it's uh, mostly the way a six year old, however old he is in this movie, five or six or seven. Um, would experience the the world. Can you give us and, a little background on the setting, real quick, for those of that those oh, of the sure. listeners who don't know what the movie's about? Sure. So it's uh, it's a story ab- about um, an extremely poor family, and that's kind of redundant uh, in, in India. Uh, there's so much poverty there. They live in uh, eastern part of of India, not in, not, you know, on some massive urban setting. Um, and, uh, he has a, an older brother who's a young teenager who's, uh, very kind of resourceful and, uh, has ways of kind of stealing stuff to help support the family. And he takes his little brother, um, Saru, out with him from time to time and uh his little brother talks him into letting him go with him on one of his nighttime escapades which is older which the older brother um is uh is really reluctant to do but he does so the they end up at a train station the older brother says stay here on this uh bench this is a nighttime and i'll I'll be Mm -hmm. back okay um, so Saru, the little boy falls asleep, wakes up in the middle, middle of the night. Nobody's around. He can't find his, his brother because he's so little, so young. He imagines he's somewhere close by. So he goes on, uh, climbs onto a train, um, that's right there on the platform and then can't get out. And then the train leaves hmm. and a train travels, um, I think it's a thousand kilometers, not a thousand miles, but a long ways, uh, a bunch of days. And he and he gets out in uh, 
uh, some major Indian city. I forget which one it is. And uh, he's lost. He doesn't know the name of his hometown because he's so he's probably five, five or six. Doesn't know the name of his hometown. He has a he has a um, a, uh, a bastardized version of the name. He doesn't know how to pronounce it exactly right. Plus, he's in a part of India where they don't speak his his uh, his dialect. So he's um, you know he escapes harrowing things. Uh, uh, several times and he ends up meaning like sex trade sex trafficking stuff and uh he ends up in a uh, a brutally harsh orphanage and uh somehow he gets adopted and remember this is a true story based mm-hmm. on a true story he gets adopted by an australian family hmm. um maybe could, because he's relatively young mm-hmm. and he's not diseased or whatever but um, they, they, they've tried some to find his, his real mother, but he, he could, he gives them no clues, virtually no, no clues. I mean, I don't think he even knows his last name. And, uh, so he ends up, uh, going with a social worker to flying to Australia and, uh, ending up in a, uh, very white middle-class family. Um, and the mom, of course, is Nicole Kidman, and the dad. I didn't. I didn't recognize the the dad. You 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 might, but I, I didn't recognize him. Um, let me see. The dad is David Wenham. Oh yeah. Okay. That's awesome. David Wenham plays um, Faramir in the Lord of the Rings. <clears throat> oh, okay. He All plays right. uh, Sean Bean's uh, un- unloved but much more morally upright uh, younger brother whose crazy father, Denethor, in the final movie, Return of the King, who's losing his mind uh, when Faramir's injured, almost burns the two of them alive in, mm. like, this pagan ritual. Um, and so he's to play this kind of, like, sensitive, like, like brave but sensitive knight, which is a very unique role um, in, in Tolkien, you know, who, who's, who's, you know, heroic characters are usually fairly one or two-dimensional in terms of their, their courage and their manliness and so forth. Um, and and he, he has a great strength but sensitivity to him. I don't know if that came out in the movie. One of my favorite, favorite characters of the Lord of the Rings movies, he's one of those guys that gets even better at, 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 with each rewatch. And, and by the way, has been a huge Australian film star forever and does a lot of t- um, radio um, plays which are big in in England and the other Commonwealth countries. We're not I we see. don't get those here, but he he's like he's basically was a voice actor before voice acting was a thing. Oh, interesting. Yeah. All right, so you know just to dumb this down for the for the summary, the, the these are two good guy parents, yep. and uh, then they adopt a second I- Indian child who's quite damaged um, psychologically, and so you see Saru for a little bit of his life in. Um, in Australia, but then it does the big time jump, and we get Dave Dev Patel as a young adult, mid twenties young young adult, and then it uh, it follows his mostly in intrapsychic odyssey and uh, awakening to how disturbed he is that his family back home, you know, doesn't know where he is mm-hmm. and uh, are. Um, are tormented every day. I mean, this is his fantasy that they're tormented every day looking for him and wondering where he is. Mm-hmm. So then, 
you know, he ultimately finds them um, after going through some uh, almost insanity and, 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 and back. And he's so disturbed by it. And he has this wonderful, understated American girlfriend, R- Rooney Mara. Um, oh, Rooney's in it, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's really good. I mean, she's just very understated. She's really I'm, sped past Kate. I mean, it's clear that she must have way more talent. I mean, I, you know I love Kate Mara, but yeah, I mean, yeah. it's undeniable. Rooney keeps showing up in interesting, yeah. dramatic roles, supporting yeah, yeah, she, and lead. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is a very nice supporting role. She does a great job. And she's a chameleon. You know how I always talk about chameleons and it's yeah, usually yeah, older is. actors oh. and actresses? It, both her totally. looks and her acting, complete chameleons. Totally. In fact, you know, uh, I, 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 this is a tangent. I just want to talk, just give props to Rooney Mara. When uh, Aaron Slavud and I did our commentary for her, she's like a very uh, complicated, uh, you know, ex-wife of Joaquin Phoenix who only shows up in like occasional flashbacks and just kills her screen time. We d- debated at length whether she was a likable or unlikable character. Everything she's in, she makes a mark. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. I'm glad to hear. I know you love Nicole Kidman. I have to think being able to just use her Australian accent helped take the pressure off a little bit. <clears throat> right, right. You know, actually, I, I, I don't love Nicole Kidman. Uh, because no, I didn't say that. I said I, you love Nicole Kidman in this. Oh, in this. Yes, right, 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 right. Um, it always bothered me how her face changed so dramatically yeah. when she started getting all that repetitive plastic surgery. Do you think that was Tom Cruise's fault? <sighs> oh, I don't know. Um you know, it's tough being uh, a Hollywood star woman yeah. or, or man too, I suppose, when you, so much of you, what you do is depending on, on your looks. And she was so, you know, goddessly gorgeous. Right. Um, so who, who knows? But, oh, man, she was so good in this. Hmm. Well, I mean, there's some she, – she does – she does a, a monologue – with with Dev Patel, um, that is just it's world class. Hmm. So um, yeah. yeah, so I, I was just going to ask you, where does Dev Patel fit in in all this? Well, he's he's the older version. He's the older version. That's what I thought. Okay, right. He, he's he's the lost the lost kid of, of from from India that's been adopted, and he's been you know he has had a wonderful middle class life in Australia. He's he's talented and and gifted and. Uh, um, he's moving on with his young adult life. He's in a, I think he's like in an M- MBA program for for hotel management, which is where he meets meets Rooney. Mm-hmm. But then his his you know he comes unravel a little bit and turns into uh, into Carrie K- Matheson uh, mm-hmm. basically, and and becomes obsessed with trying to figure out how to find his parents, and he, so he does all that whiteboard stuff, you know, in his apartment that Carrie K- did during the oh, first. Oh season. right, right, right. Which yeah, which you went manic, yeah. Right, right, and he goes crazy trying to trying to figure out the geography of this train and okay. the few little clues that he remembers from the train tracks, the water tower, you know. So, mm-hmm. um, so we, uh, we, we uh, me, you, and mom had a a heated discussion the other night about you know these sort of exceptionalism stories, the one in a million stories, and yeah, and when they're true stories, does that make it better? Uh, we agreed that it does make it better, but we disagreed whether. They should be penalized or not. We don't have to rehash that here. It's something to think about. You know, I mean, again, I call this the uh, the anthropic principle of movie making, which is 
this movie would never have been made to be debated about were it not made to be debated about, which is the anthropic principle is the whole, we exist because we are here to debate whether we exist. Therefore we, right. we exist. It's, it's, it's a it's circular reasoning, but kind of makes sense. Um, right. But I, I just wanted to ask you, you can address it afterwards, but I do want to ask you, so this has a time jump, which we criticized in moonlight um, and, and in regards to boyhood uh, and stuff like that. Did you feel like the time jump in this worked and the fact that it was basically two different movies it 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 really did it it did work it's it felt pretty seamless we went from a say a six-year-old to a 26 year old Mm. and um and it just it just felt like like it worked i mean you know they didn't i don't think they got real anal about you know the parents nicole kidman they didn't age her like tremendously for those 20 for those 20 years they didn't age the dad tremendous you know they didn't go overboard with trying to uh, you know over right overdo the the time jump it just it just worked i mean she looked a little dowdier maybe 20 years later but um so yeah i i didn't have a problem with it mm-hmm. uh, i just the, wanted to I'll just really quickly point out that uh, it made equally $38 million here and $38 million abroad. Unsurprisingly, almost half of that $38 million abroad was made in Australia. It made over $15 million in Australia, which is a lot of Australian money for any movie, let alone a semi-indie uh, re- release. Right. I'm a little bit surprised it hasn't done better. Um, it is such... Well, you know, it wasn't marketed hugely, and it wasn't in, in a super wide release, so it hasn't been in that many theaters, I don't think. But it's it's got quite broad appeal, and uh, I'm surprised it hasn't done better than uh, sixty, seventy million. Mm-hmm. And this, um, this was this is uh, sorry this was a, a, Wein, a Weinstein Brothers movie as well uh, who right. keep finding this perfect balance of Hollywood and and low budget movies that, that, that they're known for. Yeah, it's, it's it really it's a great balance. Um, you know, ironically, going back to that uh, yes. that point you were making about the the, the exceptional um, how did you put it? You know how it's a it's a the, it's the ex- 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 exceptionalism. Yeah, yeah um, that, right. The exceptional yeah. situation. You remember, I, I opened my comments on Manchester during part one. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, the big caveat here is I don't know if this movie needed to be made because right. the, the the premise was so crazy extreme. Right. So but that was premise- a slightly different argument because or, or at least I interpreted it as a different argument because that actually probably those kind of tormented journeys actually are more frequent than we know or would like to admit. It's probably my, true. My interpretation of what you were saying and I re-listened to the whole podcast today was that and I know you re-listened to that part was right. that it was such an extreme premise that there's not a whole lot we can learn we're all flawed and we're all tormented in certain ways, but it's so extreme that, that there's almost not a lot we can learn other than a great performance from Casey Affleck. I should mention that the nephew uh, that you talked about, the redhead, is nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Uh, oh, yeah. oh, huh. Yep. His um, name I, is, um, oh, excuse me, uh, his name is Lucas Hedges. Okay. And you know, I'm not sure I, I would agree with that. I, I wasn't wild about his, his portrayal of the of the the teenage nephew, but that that's not important. Yeah. Um, and then with 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 this with the exceptionalism of of the lion narrative, um, yeah, it's it's a true story. Manchester by the Sea was not a true story, but um, 
you know, they they give you these statistics that 80,000 kids a year go homeless, orphaned, in, end up in these awful, dire, harsh, frightening circumstances that little Saru did. Right. And that's, that's 80,000 a year. And, you know, how, how many of them... 25 years later, f- find their parents. Well, you know, like one in, in 10 million probably. Although I pointed out that Born Into Brothels addressed this. And right. it, it, unlike most issues like rape in the Congo, which has even higher numbers and has never been addressed. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of un, unaddressed third world poverty issues. Yeah. I, so I, the, I the was bigger, just hoping. Yeah. Sorry. I was just hoping that, that the happily ever after true ending of this story didn't blind people to the un- underlying you know facts on the ground well, right. Windows. yeah right but so so the comparison that i made the other night when we were discussing this was the end of 12 years a slave which is the true end of it but was also emotionally manipulative um where you're rooting for him to to, to escape and yet it, it's emotionally manipulating you to you know at least briefly not care as much about all the slaves who are still stuck there when that's all mm-hmm. over did mm-hmm. you feel like this was as emotionally manipulative no no uh-uh. because especially because he has agency in this movie even though things don't go well all the time you know right. uh, uh, solomon uh northrop had no agency in 12 years slave he was just an observer and a sufferer um right so that that made it worse so you know dev patel i mean oh yeah his acting is so effortless and He's, this is his first nomination if you can believe it yeah um he's well he's so easy on the eyes for for one thing which is funny because he looked kind of goofy when we first met him in slumdog but man did he (laughs) turn into a man yeah yeah right he's uh he's a a handsome young guy and uh very easy on the eyes and his acting um well first of all this part is really demanding i mean he, he goes through all sorts of uh, emotional ro- roller coasters, and um, so he just seems effortless, and he gets he gets all the nuance, and I mean, he's really, really something. I think he's got a real good shot because I think he's been a Hollywood darling since Slumdog. Oh, he was huh. in the Best Exotic Marigold Hotel, which people love. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's a fun fun movie. At least the the first one was. The, the second yeah. one was was uh, they, they they tried too hard, yeah. but the first one is really. Uh, really refreshing and, and by the way this year is starring in a movie called hotel mumbai about the 2008 mumbai attacks oh my god he's going back to another hotel so what what's what's really funny and ironic well this is not that, really a hotel this is just a, a metaphor i think like hotel rwanda yeah well yeah but the the, the the two the two marigold movies he's running a hotel in lion he's in a hotel management <laughs> course and now you just mentioned that he's right. going to be in a movie called hotel mumbai and then you have the uh indian actor in uh, grand budapest hotel <laughs> right 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 <laughs> <laughs> which he could have started that movie at a younger age yes yes he could have yeah. um so okay cool um so just really quickly and then we'll wrap up you know other first timers uh ruth nega who we've talked about before yeah. for loving nominated the uh other co-writer of hidden figures is a, a guy theodore melfi um the two uh black uh male uh, co-writers of moonlight both nominated one of which is based on his life i believe and actually, interestingly, Dad, the two co-writers grew up very near each other in Miami, but didn't meet each other so much later in life. Yeah, I, I remember that. I, I read that about them. It's, that's very interesting. 
Um, Eric Kaiser nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay for um, Arrival. Uh, Eric Kaiser for uh, Best Adapted Screenplay um, category for Arrival. So we have um, Arrival uh, Screenplay and Director. So that's kind of cool mm-hmm. for, for a little offbeat um, uh, sci-fi movie, which, I, by the way, uh, on, on the further review, I probably will like more when I see it on TV for a second time and I can you know, sit back and digest it. Mm-hmm. Um, Andrew Garfield, of course, um, formerly known as the amazing Spider-Man and, <laughs> uh, Luke Davies, uh, best adapted screenplay for lion. So, you know, lion has a lion's got a shot to win a- an award, I think. Um, so now that you've seen everything, but hacksaw, which I don't think is going to win any awards, right. Um, any new predictions about the w- ways things can go, especially, so you think Denzel won't win, even though he won at the SAGs. Um, Viola Davis seems like a lock. Yes. And, and as I said, I think um, August, uh, what's his name? Well, w- remember, yeah. uh, which you're not, uh, but I don't blame you for not remembering, but Viola Davis is not up for Best Actress. Right, Best Supporting Actress. Best, best Supporting. Yep. Which I think... Yeah, which will help her, I think. Right. Well, your your prediction is that Emma Stone will win Best Actress. Right. My outside shot in terms of who I'd put money on because of the odds is Ruth Nega, but I think Emma Stone will win. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, despite my personal criticism of uh, hypothetical uh, per- criticism of Casey Affleck off the screen, I, I would be fine um, of him winning. I-, I do like him as an actor and everything you've said. It's, it seems like he's the right one. Um, do you think Lion, uh, any of the, the awards it's up for, has a chance or it's just not quite there? Uh, let's see. Dev Patel. Yep. Oh, you know he's he's oh he's a supporting he's in best yeah, supporting he's in best supporting. I'm wow, that's not that's sure that's a tough against, that's a tough yeah. category. You go up against Jeff Bridges and yeah, uh, Ali. Yeah, Marshall Ali is going to win, I think. Yeah, he he, he probably will. Yep. And uh, Nicole Kidman. Uh, well, I guess she's not going to be out beat out of Viola Davis, but but I'll tell you, mm-hmm. Viola Davis's performance was it was so over the top, right? Um, but would it have been over the top had it been a play, a straight up play that you went to go see on Broadway? Right. It, it's appropriate for, for a play. But I think Nicole Kidman's was, was there something just hmm. extraordinary. Hollywood loves uh, reclamation stories. <clears throat> Boy, it, her performance was really something. So, and then c- cinematography, uh, Lion. Um, well, you know, it it has a shot for for c- cinematography. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely what has a shot. Are you looking at the list? Who's el- who else is up for cinematography? Arrival, La La, Lion, Moonlight, Silence. Um, I didn't know si- Silence got in in the running for. I for really hope Moonlight sure. doesn't win. <laughs> I will throw out yeah. my hands in confusion. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I hope it doesn't win as as well. How um, was how was La La Land shot? We didn't really talk about that in our extremely long discussion of it. Well, you, you would you would know how to classify it better than than I I do. But um, it well, seemed was there a lot of seemed, moving camera? Yeah, it seemed like they they were they were trying to reprise the feel of you know a nineteen forties uh, m- musical. So there was just a lot of 
camera drama, I, I, I think, um, where the you know the camera intrudes not in the way that it intrudes in in, in moonlight and that it gets you know over right. fancy and whatever, but it's they're just doing a lot of stuff with with cameras. Well, the only reason I ask is if La La Land did sort of a postmodern reinterpretation of, of the shooting of uh, Singing in the Rain or something like that, I, I could see them winning. Yeah, I would say it has that that kind of a feel to it. Let me give you my um, rank ordering of the the best picture n- nominees. Um, that yeah. is the eight that I saw, and not not yeah. Hex Hexall Ridge. So, my favorite remains Manchester by the Sea. Sure. Uh, I would say that number two, it's tough, but I think I, it's really tough, and I, I feel guilty saying it, but I think Hell, Hell or High Water second, Hidden Figures third. Mm. And then I would say Lion fourth, Arrival fifth, um, Fences, uh, La La Land, Moonlight. Mm-hmm. That's how I would rank order them, just in terms of how I reacted to them emotionally. Hmm. You're not going to like this. So, you know how odds work when it's like plus 100 or minus 100? Mm. So, minus 100 means um, you have to bet... um, uh, I'm sorry. Minus 200 means you have to bet 200 to win 100. Okay. So plus plus 200 means you have to bet 100 to win 200. So the middle of December, the odds of La La Land winning were minus 187. So that meant you have to bet $187 to win another $100. Plus your money back, right? So uh-huh. you bet you bet one hundred eighty-seven dollars to win two hundred eighty-seven dollars. Okay, it's now minus six ninety-nine. So now you have to bet seven hundred dollars to win one hundred dollars. Oh, and the which, only one that's which, 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 yeah. which means it's getting close to a lock. It's a lock because the next closest is Moonlight plus six fifty. So if you bet Moonlight for a hundred, you win six hundred and fifty. And to Manchester by the Seas plus twelve hundred, and everything else is is way off the reservation. Another way of saying plus wow. twelve hundred is uh, twelve to one odds, and another way of Moonlight plus six fifty is six point five to one odds or thirteen to two odds. So La La Land has like one to fourteen odds, which is ridiculous. Wow! So that's a lock. Director of La La Land is pretty close to a lock. Casey Affleck is minus 500. Denzel's plus 450. So Casey Affleck's not a lock, but he's the odds-on favorite by far. Yeah. Um, if you can believe it, Emma Stone is... We'll see if you can guess who uh, Emma Stone is. Uh, 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 the closest uh, threat to Emma Stone. N- Natalie? Yeah, Natalie's plus 175. Huh. Um, huh. Mahershala Ali looks like a lock for Moonlight. Viola Davis for Fences. So mm-hmm. there you have it. How close is Nicole Kidman to her? Nicole Kidman is plus 3,300. So it's 33 to 1 odds for Nicole Kidman. Jesus. Well, I mean, you know, we, we feared that La La Land was going to take many more awards than we hoped that it would. So it sounds like it, it may well do it. But th- there have been up- upsets in the past, obviously. Yeah. Um, my, Michael Keaton got upset. Yeah. 
um, to be fair, those are pretty extreme. I'm looking at one that 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 uh, averages a bunch of places, and oh. so for best picture, La La Land is basically an even, you know, two to one, and Moonlight is the next closest at uh, about seven to one. Hmm. Hmm. Um, let's see what they say about Nicole Kidman on this one. Nicole Kidman is, according to this, not even in the running. She was spectacular. I mean, she's so far away. I mean, you know, she's not even listed here. I'm not really sure why. Hmm. Um, let's see. Best actor. Okay. This one has Denzel closer to Casey. Oh. Well, that, uh, that makes sense if, if you do a, 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 an overall average of. Oh, that. no. They do have Nicole Kidman. She's uh, 66 to 1. Oh, my God. Yeah. Best supporting actor. Shit. You know, there's just so much sturm and drong. Here we in, go. In- Sorry. Um, Marshall Ali uh, is about even odds, and Dev Patel is second at about 8 to 1. Oh, good. And best supporting, now that I can see everything, Viola Davis is even <coughs> odds, uh, but she's basically a lock because Michelle Williams and Naomi Harris are next at 21 t- to 1. Mm. And Nicole Kidman's 31 to 1, Octavia Spencer 67 to 1. It's a tough, tough category. I mean, that, there's a lot of competition in, in, in that category. Yeah. I know, but you just get a sense that from, from the beginning, it seemed like Viola Davis was a lock. Yeah. They are saying uh, La La Land, Damien Chazelle is even odds, and next is Moonlight at 13 to 1 for Best Director. Um, best Adapted Screenplay, uh, almost even odds for Moonlight. Hmm. Um, hmm. Oh, best Cinematography, which we were talking about. Yeah. La La Land is the easily the odds on favorite. Lion is second at 10 to 1. Mm hmm. I think La La Land's going to win big time, and Moonlight might win some stuff, and Viola Davis is going to win, and Casey Affleck will probably win, and that's going to be an extremely unexciting um, Oscars. Although, to be fair, you know, in the last couple of years, both Sly and Keaton have been robbed, and they were the odds-on favorite going in. And at, oh. at the last minute, remember I told you like the day before the Oscars? Yes, I remember. I got nervous about Stallone. Right. So sometimes these odds close at the last minute as things start to leak. Because right now it's total secrecy. Mm-hmm. But as it gets closer, things start to leak because they have to put it in the thing that they for the presenters, uh, you know. Oh, I it's, see. It's like leaks from the White House. At first, everything's so tight, and then eventually stuff comes out. So it's possible some of these tighten up. But, I mean, it's pretty much La La Land, Lion, and Moonlight straight, straight up and down. Mm. So uh, I, I will not be watching it. I know Mom's having a party. You think you'll watch it live or semi-live? I will not watch it live. I, I will tape it and uh, and start watching it as when I don't have to watch any commercials. So probably an hour after it starts, I'll start watching it. All right. Well, we should wrap this up because between the two parts, we now have a two and a half hour podcast, which is fine. <laughs> that's that's part of the Bizzlecast. So thank you for being on Papa B. Uh, we'll, Thanks for having me. We'll revisit this. Uh, we should mention quickly, we really had a great time at the Lego Batman movie. Uh, yeah, it was one of the funniest scripts we've ever witnessed, really. Yep. And uh, Logan's coming up in a couple weeks, which we're very excited about. The final Hugh Jackman Wolverine movie, which will be bittersweet, to say the least. To say the least. And uh, Ghost in the Shell, which we have no fucking idea, but it's a dark, hyper-violent, stylized Scarlett Johansson movie based on one of the best properties ever created in genre movies. So I think it's safe to say we're going to see that no matter what. 
Definitely seeing it. Scarjo. <laughs> All right. Pop the B and the Bizzle are out.